Hey there, Sam Winchester. This is Eniash. Hey, Eniash. This is Steven. Steven, I actually know who Sam Winchester is, but uh, why did you choose that name? And who is he for our less cultured members of the audience? Sam Winchester is one of the two main characters in the Supernatural TV series, which ran for 15 years. There was an episode in season three where he's Groundhog Daying, and this is apropos for two reasons. One, I was on Shaping Exercises 101 podcast for their retro episode. That's a Groundhog Day themed story called uh, Mother of Learning. And why was, oh, because June's basically Groundhog Day save scumming when he goes berserk here. Oh, yeah. Just like in a loop of what, a dozen seconds? Yeah. It's not exactly Groundhog Day, but it is a Groundhog 12 seconds. So that seems like a, a tight enough excuse to make this work. Cool. If I had to guess, I'd probably think it was six seconds, because I think that was the original... Well, no, it depends on the game system, how long a round was. They Never did mind. talk about six seconds, I think, with Princes and Vulnerability way early in the book. That's right, they that did. Long. Yeah. yeah. And I think we had the exact same conversation then about combat rounds and timing. So yeah. we don't need to recap that. Relativistic railgun. Well, uh, what are we looping about every week? Except it's different each week, so it's not really looping. Oh, yeah. Uh, we are talking about Alexander Wales' web serial Worth the Candle. This is our show, Not Everything is a Clue. Yes. Uh, well, no, the name of the show is Not Everything is a Clue. It almost what did I like say? You, well, it sounded, you, you said that, but it sounded like you said, this is our show, Not Everything is a Clue. Oh, that's really funny. <laughs> that is pretty cool. You can find us at hpmorpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to us or support us on Patreon. Uh, there's also a link to our Discord, which we will be uh, talking to in just a second, talking about, I guess. Uh, also, we link back to Alexander Wales's Patreon as well, if you want to support him directly for writing this awesome thing for all of us to read. Couldn't have put it better myself. Excellent. And speaking of talking to Discord people, we have some things from the audience. You want to jump into that? Yeah, speaking of everything being clues, uh, patron Jay, by the way, pointed out that way early in the show, talking about whether or not everything was a clue. And then I looked for some seemingly like far-fetched example, and I mentioned the uh, trash bags in uh, Silmar City or Comfort being paper rather than plastic. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, that's probably you know just random world building or something. And uh, Jay, by the way, points out that that was indeed a clue. Evidently, everything is a clue. <laughs> Vindication. So, exactly. Because, yeah, they don't have plastics for plastic magic reasons, apparently, along with others. So ridiculous. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, and that was actually a patron, not a Discord person. So thank you for patronizing us, Jay, by the way. We are very appreciative. Absolutely. Uh, you also asked last episode if there were if all mis misdeeds are forgivable. Not last episode, two episodes ago. If all misdeeds are forgivable, if uh, the person who did them thought that everyone was a mindless NPC, and we kind of thought, yeah, maybe. But then uh, Gorky from this group points out that like if a rando killed your family because they honestly believe they weren't real, they would not be forgiven. Um, and I think. For the, first of all, he has a really good point. I would not be forgiving this fucking rando that killed my family just because he thought they weren't real. Like, screw that guy. But also, I think that's that's literally what the um, insanity plea is all about. Like, you you were not in your right mind. You didn't know that you were killing people or something. Uh, so I think we do actually have an exception for that in the law. But then also the law is not the same thing as forgiving someone. So... Yeah, I can't remember where I came down on the episode, but I think what I meant to say was that at that level, forgiveness wouldn't even really come into it. They're they're not an agent that you know 
you forgive people who have wronged you in a way that they can recognize or that you can recognize that they didn't intend or something. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I guess you might forgive them, but I feel like forgiveness is something you do to like agents. You know, I wouldn't forgive the car whose brake failed, you know, while it's parked in the driveway and ran over my kid. Yeah. Um, I might blame the owner and then subsequently forgive them, but it doesn't seem like, uh, forgiveness is the kind of thing that you, you bestow upon somebody or, or give to somebody who's not in touch with reality. Right. <laughs> I I don't know. I guess I would have a hard time ever ever forgiving them and I still think that like it would be I would hold a grudge, I guess, even if they weren't connected to reality. I mean, I I guess fortunately I haven't been there, but it's like I I don't know. So you you read um what was it? Not the old man in the sea. What was the one with Ahab and the white whale? Uh Moby Dick. And no, I did not. That's the right. All right. So you didn't have to read it, though. The, is, the point is, is that like chasing your white whale is like a really stupid endeavor. Yeah. OK. Yeah. I mean, what he should well, have done. Know if that's the point. But uh, the, that's what he does. And it's really stupid. Right. I think the point is that you shouldn't be like Ahab. He's an idiot. Um, OK. And so I think that would it have made sense for him to forgive the whale? I, I maybe, see what you're saying. Depend, depending yeah. on how much agency he applies to it. But it's like, no, I'm just I'm just going to move on with my life. Like. Right. In the in the words of a famous summary of that story, um, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's yeah. Okay, I, th I thought it was an interesting thing to point out, at least. No, totally. And the summary I'm I'm mentioning is in one of the Omake chapters of Methods of Rationality, where Inyash in two sentences summarizes Moby Dick for like yeah. a rationalist take on the book. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's just it's just not a book because <laughs> there's nothing there. All right. Uh, also, I forgot to write down who pointed this out, so unfortunately it is unattributed, but uh, someone did point out that this is the first time we've actually seen a loading screen uh, in the simulation, and we know this got, we assume that there's a lot of computing power behind this, seeing as it's simulating June's brain in addition to the whole world. Uh, so the the fact that there's a loading screen is some evidence that maybe the uh the library was running the entirety of the Arab simulation real fast to grab the books for it, for it, and then uh, stuff them into the library. But uh, you know, it's it's weak evidence, I guess, but it's something. Yeah, weak evidence is a good word for it. I'm not sure what like would. I mean, in games that don't involve simulating the future, if I fast travel, sometimes it has to go to a loading screen. Hell, if I open a door in some games, it goes to a loading screen, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But for me. It's just the fact that June is experiencing these things at the behest of the DM, mm -hmm. right? If if the DM didn't want him to experience a loading screen, he just wouldn't show it to him. Yeah. Um, it's similar with the warning messages he gets later about the game. Like everything that's being shown to June's experience here is intentional. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm more just trying to tease out like what is the DM trying to say here? Um, yeah. to the best I can figure, it's just like, Hey, isn't this video gamey? Hmm. But that's maybe, probably not maybe, as deep as it goes. It might be a hint that he is running the whole thing forward, but I don't know. Like it I said, be. very yeah. weak evidence. Yeah. Uh, and finally, again, from Gorky, uh, he wants us to consider that, uh, if the, if the infinite library, uh, was simulating the entire world, it still, well, his, his point was that, uh, if we were in a simulation like the infinite library simulation running air forward, how would we be able to tell it would be indistinguishable for us? 
Uh, and that's why he thinks Valencia's life in the library's future is actually really strong evidence for him of uh, her real values. And we were like, yeah, well, you know, she could be faking it to send the message to June. And uh, Gorky was like, dudes, my dudes, that that timeline may be like doomed or something, but she still has to live her entire life. Um, there's there's no point where June's going to reach in and pull her into the real timeline or anything. It's just her life, much like we right now are living our lives. And there's no way that the real Ineash is going to pull me into the real timeline at some point and be like, okay, I just needed to see what books you were going to write so that we could put them in this library for you. Uh, so, you know, would I be living my entire life as a lie just to, I don't know, fool real Ineash for some reason? It seems absolutely ridiculous. You're just going to live your life as best you can since it's the real universe to you, the real world. Yeah, I I mean, I think that it's probable that Valencia was actually, you know, not even redeemed, that just that she was, you know, a good person for the rest of that that life. But mm-hmm. I, I entertain the idea that she was playing at one level higher. And I don't see the only way that, that Gorky's argument here, at least in this context, I didn't read the whole, if there's more to it than what we pulled out here, then I'm not aware of it. But like... Mm-hmm. If she was unaware of how the library worked or that June had gone there, and that was just her natural behavior, then that'd be one thing. But much like Amaryllis, she knows what's happening and could well be gearing her um, everything towards it, right? I mean, in theory, yes. But like thinking about it, imagine that you knew that, you know, someone else... uh, I don't know, someone who's going to judge your life. Me. I imagine I'm going to the infant library and I'm going to be judging your life and making decisions based on what you do in it. Like, would you, if if part of that was you have to uh, leave your significant other and then live the rest of your life with someone you don't really care for that much? Like, I mean, maybe she's okay or whatever, but she's not the person that you're married to right now, the person that you currently love. Like, could you do that? Spend the next 40 years living that kind of a lie? Just to fool me? I think if you were getting the reports from somebody else who I visited once a year, I could convincingly fake it. Now I'm just going to, I, again, I was never very strong on the, on the position that uh, Valencia was faking it, but I, I, I can just die on this hill. Um, so <laughs> if the person I, that you're reporting to is, I don't know, someone that we know very well or someone yeah, but, you know very well, like your parents, they could. But I'm also a perfect liar, right? Uh, I mean, uh, so the, the thing, the thing is, is that. You know, we we expect Amaryllis to. Oh, why didn't she go full Voldemort? You know, she was doing all this for the for the sacred timeline. Mm-hmm. Like, we're we're not going to attribute one percent of that agency to Valencia or to the to the demons that she's constantly chugging down like water. But there's a difference between like lying with perfect fidelity and actually living that lie because it's not like um, Amaryllis has no way to ever check in on on valencia and be like hey how's the kids bring him over you know how's george bring him over for Mm. dinner like your parents would find out if you were no longer married to you're currently married to no matter how good of a liar you were right Mm, fair but (laughs) if i was again some some perfect slytherin i could you know ruin the records that they're making to submit to the library i'm just saying Mm. that there is a way this could happen now that said i think that she was probably just you know retired and became uh hermione like she always wanted so that's my real position but I, you know, if you're thinking that it's impossible that she was faking her entire life, you are not being paranoid enough. That's fair. Because <laughs> there's no such thing as paranoid enough. That's right. All right. Well, shall we get paranoid about the people who want to murder us in the next chapter? 
Yeah, let's do it. All right, that was a weak segue, but it's what came to mind. Brings us to chapter 133, The Critical Path. What happens here? So apparently all of the heavy, heavy suggestions that we got that June leveling up without a babysitter would go badly were well-founded. Um, I think for the fun of it, we can just say that, or I'll just put out on the table and then not talk about for the rest of the chapter. I feel like I was pretty annoyed that this came out of basically nowhere. Like I know they foreshad- they told us it was going to happen, but like, why not show us at some point? There's yeah. a lot of, a lot of telling and no showing that said, maybe we'll get some explanation about what happened at that time that he has held down or something. But, um, this, you know, Voldemort June came out of nowhere for the most part. Um, even so, if we do get an explanation of what happened later, like it should have happened before this, if uh, if it were to be done well. Agreed. I saw something, you know, maybe this is a fun thing that he wanted to include and didn't, you know, set the exact pieces in place for earlier enough. But he did, you know, this didn't come out of literally nowhere. It just would have been nice to have been shown rather than told. Yeah. But brushing past all that, let's just focus on how awesome it is that he goes full Voldy June. And his only real goal in life is to level up again. Yes. It it was very awesome. Um, you know, so he starts out actually trying to uh, fool them and get get the next book so we can complete quests because he knows that quests are the vast majority of his XP and killing people doesn't do all that much for him. So uh, he goes out there and he's like, hey, you, you find that book yet? It's a good book. We we like that book, right? Give me the book. <laughs> I just picture him like Dave Chappelle and, you know, the his drug addict persona in that in the Chappelle show. I forget the character's name. Mm-hmm. But just like, you know, hoodie scratching his arm, just like, hey, you got you got any of them books? I need some for some XP. <laughs> yeah. um, what's fun is that like he's singularly focused on the level up to the extent of like everything else in his life, but he has the context that he can be like, Oh yeah, no, XP, you know, comes from quests. I can I can try and work towards those. So he's not just like only able to look a minute in the future, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of fun that he can at least try to plan for stuff. Yeah, he's still yeah. June. He's just only has one goal now. I, I thought of him a lot like when Harry was uh, under the effects of the Dementor. Mm, yeah. Uh, if he had had a chance to rampage there, that's what this would have looked like. Totally. And if he had a, a reason for doing so. At the yeah, time, totally. I don't think Harry really had like motivation to, to go killing people. He didn't get XP. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, the Raven picks up really quickly that he's acting kind of off. Uh, so she says, I'm enacting puppet protocol. Stay where you are. And I just, I really like that they have protocols for things like when demigods are acting strange, because it is very good to be prepared for, for things like that. When, when demigods are walking among you, <laughs> I think this, they probably have this just for any, you know, run of the mill librarian who opens the wrong book, right? It's probably true. Yeah. But if they open the wrong book, they may now be inhabited by a demigod. So yeah. The the point is like, look, hey, we, you know, someone's driving your meat suit, we think. Hold still and shut the fuck up. And I love yeah. it. They, yeah. they are prepared for everything. They have code phrases, emergency protocols, books, and all the goop you can eat. This library sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Just no sunlight. That's true. But, you know. Um, all right. So let's let's look at what it's like inside the head of, of Evil June. Mm. Um, I think he's trying – this is when he's still brainstorming on like what to do when he gets back to Arab. He's not assuming that this will all go terribly here. Um, but he was thinking, oh, wait, Amaryllis took my soul. But uh, Raven doesn't know about the soul connection. So I can alter Amaryllis from a distance and remove her as a threat. So long as I did it before I was put to sleep. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, OK. So he's not just like, you know, really, really jazzed on more XP. He's just gone full Voldemort. Yeah. Um, like it, it was 
kind of a slow reveal because he gets up and he's like, oh, I should have grabbed my sword and I should have done this. But he's not really doing anything totally nuts just yet. Mm-hmm. But as soon as he's and- like, oh, no, I got to soul fuck this person, you know, or soul fuck Amarillo's in particular to keep this under wraps. I'm like, oh, OK, yeah, we're going just full dark side. Let's sit so back with a tub can- of popcorn. Yeah, so that she can be my willing puppet in, in every regard. Goddamn. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, he cannot mess with Amaryllis because the companion soul lines are blocked to him while he's in the library. He's not sure exactly why that is. He hypothesizes maybe it's because he was across a planar boundary. And if that's the case, then I know we were earlier speculating about um, like maybe him trying to connect with uh, Fen in hell through the soul link. Or if he goes to hell, being able to connect to his, uh, his homie's back up on air but uh if the case is, is that planar boundary stops the soul link then i don't think that's going to be an option that seems like the kind of thing that i would throw in if i was writing the rules to this place i mean the other complication with the library in particular is that it's modeling amaryllis of the future which amaryllis would he see if he went to her soul mm, yeah. the hundred year old or i mean she's been dead forever right like what what time is it on air from june's perspective I think we find out later that time has proceeded at the same rate. So it's about like a week, two weeks later on air. Well, but the, the Amaryllis that he would like reach to his soul uh, to, to look at, is that the one back on air of now? Cause that might not exist anymore. Right. They ran that simulation forward. That's a good point. I guess they don't have to restart the Arab simulation. Maybe that's one of the reasons you can't access, access things on other planes. Cause they only run one plane at a time. Or at least, especially ones that, you know, do future shenanigans. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, no, that's, that's worth, think, that's worth uh, considering. We'll see what next, what, what looks like next time he goes to another plane. Yeah. Um, but basically they figure out that uh, June is not himself and they're going to wrap him in wards and basically take away his ability to do anything. And he's like, mm, I don't like this idea. <laughs> <laughs> and so he decides to kill everybody. You know, and, when, when all else fails, when if you try diplomacy for 10 seconds and it doesn't work, then... Yeah. You know, that'd be, you don't really have any other option, man. You tried for 10 seconds. Yeah. That was exhausting. <laughs> all right, let's start, start killing everybody. So he, we get to see what a unicorn bo- bone does for the first time, and it literally gives you the ability to be like a unicorn, where you can just run the timeline uh, multiple times for, for a short period of time, seems like six seconds or so, and uh, then choose whichever one... Well, no, he doesn't get to choose. I think the unicorn could run them all simultaneously and choose from them, but he just has to run them in parallel and then stop at one point whenever he gets an acceptable uh, an acceptable result. But basically, it's safe coming. He gets to do a thing. If it doesn't work out great, he goes back to his checkpoint and tries again. How does that seem different from what the unicorn was doing? I think the unicorn could see all of them and pick which one it liked best, whereas he only sees one at a time and at some point has to stop and say, this is the best I can do. I'm sticking with this one. Because if he tries again for another one and that one is worse, he can't go back to the previous one. Oh, I see. I suppose from the outside, it wouldn't be you wouldn't be able to tell the difference, right? But yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's overpowered as hell. It's awesome. I don't know when he. I remember there was a time where he's sitting there like contemplatively, uh, like testing the unicorn bones, and he's like, "Oh, I tapped it," and I think that's when he unlocks the ability to pull mental traits. But I can't remember when that was, but I'm amazed he hasn't done this before. I don't think he's been like in that big of a combat situation before. Maybe the um maybe in in the was it before or after the big ambush where Fen died that he got this ability? Oh, it was it was ages ago. Did he um, not just not have the bones on him at the time then? Well, for, then if then he was ridiculously under equipped. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, this is the kind of thing where 
you know, I would cut open my arm or shove a bone inside of it and then heal around it and deal with whatever complications that caused just for the usefulness of always having it on me. Right. Hmm. Um, That's a good point. The, the, uh, or maybe I could find somewhere with more room than my arm, but you get my point. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that he, he had it before Amaryllis, uh, gave birth cause he was burning mental traits to help her chill out. Um, so, I mean, he's had this for a while. He could have used it when he was fighting masters. He could have used it when O'Cald and his nerds were attacking. Um, but, you know, it's like you said, he might, maybe he didn't have them. It's he didn't know how serious that was until afterwards, those sorts of things. But anyway, it's awesome. And the it other is. awesome part about this is that Raven is the opposite of a pushover. Mm-hmm. And she successfully fucks him up every single time, despite his, his enormous advantage. Yeah. And I just loved that. I think it was when the first time she killed him and I'm like, Oh good. She doesn't pull her punches. Like mm. even with Uther jr here, uh, she's like, okay, yeah, you know, he could be super important, but he's trying to kill me. Fuck this. He's going down. And <laughs> just there, there was no, uh, none of these outcomes ended with her like, you know, stopping before delivering the final blow. Right. Yeah. She's like, and Oh, I, mean- I shouldn't kill him. There's never a moment of hesitation. No. And for her, like each one of these was like the first time all she really did is see him reach up for a bone and immediately goes into like, oh, fuck, shits are going down. Now I kill him mode. And also like she felt him pulling speed, I guess, since uh, she has an intent that gives her the same same uh, bonus as he gets. But like, yeah, she no fucking around at all. No hesitation. I think there was like a millisecond of hesitation before she killed one of her own dudes to get to him. It was badass. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, I got this hostage. And she's like, I, I'm not negotiating. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, th- you know, it sucks, whole... but he's replaceable. And if you go lose, you know, if, and you're rogue, this is this is too dangerous. Yeah. And it was like, it was really awesome watching this combat scene where June just like pulls out every single trick that he has. And you like get to really see him be creative with his magics and his entads and combining them in ways just just to find a way to kill Raven. And I, he doesn't, but he does find a way to not die himself eventually. Uh, it was it was really fun to read. I, I gotta say, this is the sort of thing where, like, um, I I like the sort of thing with um, Worm, which was really fun at first, but eventually got to the point where, like, there was tens of thousands of words of this sort of thing, and it got really repetitive and tiresome for me and i thought here was like the perfect length like one chapter of this badassery i could maybe handle two uh of the longer chapters worth of this but like it was it was just the right amount for a great fight scene yeah worm had fight scenes that would go on for several several chapters you know you know it was the writing style or whatever but yeah i'm with you this would have lost some of the speed and interest of it after the ten thousandth word or something right yeah Um, yeah. or 20th i'd I don't know how many are in a chapter, but um, oh, I pulled this out because I, I only had one reaction to it when he I can't remember if this is before or right after he loses his first fight with 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 uh, Raven. But he says, I regretted not holding Raven down and soul fucking her into compliance, which would have sped up my time in the library and allowed me to get back to into the field all the sooner. As soon as I was, as soon as I was done killing all the librarians, soul fucking was going to be my default method of handling anyone I needed to. I let moral strictures keep me weak for far too long. Hmm. Like, Good God. <laughs> okay. So he, he's gone. Just again, it's, I, I hate to keep overusing Voldemort, but this is just, that's yep. his, his idea of like, Oh, I've, I've been morally constrained by not just like soul raping everybody I come into contact with in the event that I might need something from them. Yeah. 
And I'm just like, okay, so this does like completely upend your values. That he has no other value anymore except for level up. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, so it was, it was his highest when he first discovered soul magic, but he, I think he had it completely under control. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming like it was like, I don't know, twice as big as number two. Now it's what a thousand times the value of his second highest value. I mean, I don't know. We don't aren't told exactly, but fucking huge. Apparently. I just wonder how, how much I'd have to care about something for this to be like the kind of thought that crossed my mind or for me to start murdering people to get them mm-hmm. or to get whatever it is I wanted. Mm-hmm. It would have to be something more than I've ever wanted anything in my entire life or could imagine wanting it. That's yeah. That's what it seems like they're going with here. Yeah. It, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he also, the first time he dies, gets the achievement Grand Mort, which I just thought was really funny since, you know, he got the Le Petit Mort uh, achievement earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yep, all the way full death now. Cool. But fortunately, the Unicorn, born, unicorn Bone lets you uh, just rewind that. That's so wild. Uh, he need, yeah. They need to go start harvesting unicorns right away. <laughs> I know they're rare and they're, they're kind of hard to kill, but they're not that hard to kill. Right. And I guess they'd be hard to kill in ways that leave lots of bones. That makes it a little harder, but not impossible. It's um, true. The only reason they were able to get that, cl- that close to that one was because it already like had a thing with Amaryllis. Yeah. It's a thing to consider for once they run out of unicorn bones. And who knows, right now, you I, know, maybe they can find some way to, to, to farm them. Yeah. It sounds, Although maybe it sounds unicorns hard, are like local. Yeah. I, I, I doubt they'd have to, I doubt they'd go through that many unicorn bones in the rest of the book that they would have to create an actual farm where they're breeding them and raising them over generations. I mean, although they do have the time chamber. Yeah, they have, they have the time chamber. They have other ways I think like to, to hack and you know, just cause you don't need them all doesn't, isn't a good reason not to have them all. Right. <laughs> Whenever mm-hmm. you're about to go into conversation, you're just like, you know what? Let me burn a unicorn bone in case I say something stupid. You might need it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this can be like June's equivalent of Val's demons or Amarella's leaning on the time chamber all the time. Jesus, man, that would be, that would get exhausting to loop through every single thing you do all the time. Yeah. It'd be exhausting to read too. Uh, I'm glad yeah, I yeah. find that resource just for my own sanity. <laughs> um, yep. So I, I was mentioning just how he's, you know, able to kind of consider the future and he's thinking about, uh, he says values or to, to himself values had a clear metric for time sensitivity. And it was clear now that level up had a perilously high time sensitivity. So high that it had compromised my own decision-making. <laughs> he's able to acknowledge his apparent decision-making on only this very specific point. Yes. <laughs> Nothing else about this seems un- unusual. Yeah. And, Last one here, because I, I wanted to ask your thoughts on this. Um, I think this is some point during the save scumming fight, but he says, I wanted to pull my hand away from the bone and to to try and buy time to say soothing words and explain that I hadn't meant anything by touching it. But as soon as the magic was up, the timelines would come crashing back together, solidified, and Maddie would remember me trying to kill her. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it was that made it so much more chilling in this for him to call her Maddie instead of Raven. So you're you're more literate than me. Uh, I mean, if I had to guess, I would say that it's because Maddie is someone he's known for years and he has a relationship with. And not, not only is she younger than him, she's also someone that he had a sexual relationship with. So just the feeling of him being like, yep, this is this is Maddie. And I care not at all because level ups are important and Maddie can die is would probably be more chilling than being like, you know, here's Raven who looks like Maddie, but is a totally different person. I seem to remember at least one of the flashbacks where Maddie was 10 years old. Yeah. And, you know, so this is somebody that he knew since like she was a child. 
Mm-hmm. And he's not only does he not care about Raven enough to correctly identify her as who she is anymore, but it's just like, I think that I think you're right. It's, it's gotta be just like, yeah, you know, if this is some kid from my childhood fucker, she's in the way. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Um, I, it was, it was very, well done. It's, yeah. It's a subtle thing, you know, one word and it wouldn't have been for whatever reason that just struck me as twice as, as bone chilling there. Yeah. Uh, he does, on at least one occasion, though, kill her as he's him dying himself, and then we get Raven Masters defeated, achievement unlocked, coup de companion. I was like, well, so we have found who our last companion is. Now I gotta count. We've got Amaryllis, Grac, Val, Locus, uh, Bethel, Bethel, and then plus or minus Fen, and then uh, Raven. Isn't that only seven? That is seven, but you can only seat eight people around a square table. That's if right. Size. It was eight yeah. total. I'm curious if Fen's slot is open again, but I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. So that was my thought. I'm like, well, she was going to be a companion, you twat. <laughs> I was, I was, I was having fun being mad at him in the notes. Um, mm. Plus, you know, she's a person, and killing people is wrong. And at this point, uh, I was like, I wonder if like he'll like come to his senses and give up on the loop. And then in my head, I heard, was it? Ron Howard did the narration for Arrested Development. I don't know. Very frequently, they'd be like, I wonder if this will happen. And then narrator come on and be like, no, it didn't. Um, <laughs> just to kind of like, just answer it in a funny way. So yeah, mm-hmm. spoiler, he won't. No. <laughs> but at the very end, he still manages to lose, despite the fact that he used every single hack and cheat that, that he had. Because Raven was keeping, she's always got another trick up her sleeve. Mm-hmm. Um, he also killed some librarians on the way and some of them joined in on the fight. I I did notice that one of the ones that happened to have a rifle and was ready for combat at the drop of a hat was the one that picked him up in the library that he felt like he's getting ambushed by. Yeah. I'm like, oh, so she just has a rifle ready f- to whip out and start shooting in like under six seconds. Come on. Um, <laughs> so she was definitely up to something. But mm. um, yeah, as, as he's going in, I can't remember what the last loop on this looked like, but um, he is, I think he's going to go in for like the killing blow. And then she whips out a book with this curious fractal fractal diagram on it, and it just burns itself into his brain. <laughs> yeah, it was he got awesome. hit with a memetic hazard. He did, and she just she keeps that just in case. I mm-hmm. she's fucking awesome, and you know I, at the time because like I'm enjoying watching Evil June, I'm having fun watching him get his ass kicked because I don't want I don't want Evil June to win, right? Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm just like, all right, Raven, you know, slap him down. Fuck yeah, you did. You you know, burned a hole in his face. Oh yeah. Now mm-hmm. you just blew You just shattered his brain, you know, high five. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it was great. So uh, it was, I, it I was, don't know what else was to say on that other than great action chapter. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And like you said, Raven's now, a, or she, we now know she will be a companion. Um, yes. yeah. Cause I don't think that like, if he checked his companion sheet now, it would have her listed. I think it has to have a loyalty level first. I think so. In fact, doesn't it have to be loyalty two before you can see their biography or is it available at loyalty one i don't know when their biography shows up but okay but yeah I they're confirmed they're as least... companions once they're loyalty no grack was confirmed at loyalty negative two remember he was confirmed but i think it had to give a, a value to it maybe yeah it did like it wasn't, it wasn't until when they he... just like first met him yeah yeah um there was that and uh when he like first met amaryllis he went wandering off you know to go on his fool's errands of soul harvesting and he knew that she'd given a fake name because he could see it. But I think that was mm-hmm. from being at least level two. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, safe mode. 
Yeah. June's brain has crashed and he has to reboot it in safe mode. Chapter 134. <laughs> uh, this starts out with him getting error messages and, uh, you know, the, the main memetic hazard is taking up all the computer processing power. And uh, he gets an error from the game saying estimated time to meet space failure without an intervention is uh, 5.5 times 10 to the 48 PT. I'm not sure what a PT is, but uh, he would not exit the memetic hazard loop until significantly longer than that. So he will die before he exits, before he, you know, the loop, the memetic hazard finishes running. Uh, and I hear you have in your notes that a PT is 10 to the negative 44 seconds. Where'd you find that? Because I tried Googling all over and I couldn't find anything about it. I'm assuming it's uh, Planck time. Huh. But yeah, there isn't one with the symbol PT, but... That might just be the shorthand that you would use if you're writing log messages because your uh, like standard out doesn't like the special character that they actually use for Planck units. It could be. I I eventually just assumed it meant um, uh, like petaflops or something or picoseconds. I don't remember what it was, but it was much less than that. I, I figured like 10 to the negative 12 or something, uh, which gave me uh, 10 to the negative 12 seconds, which in total he was like more than the heat death of the universe in how much time would have to pass but but if it's playing time then it's not as much as you said i yeah i i'm curious too because i got the impression that like shit's gonna start crashing down real fast from mm. you know it says 90 percent memory usage 95 99 and then you know custom process has, ex- has exceeded uh two in the executive function calls um yeah i think that the we were supposed to get the impression that like things are going to come crashing down here very, very soon. Um, Cause even if I it got- was plank plank time, I think that, uh, or a plank unit, I think that's 10 to the negative 44 seconds. And I'll embarrass myself by doing the math wrong. I'm sure. But I think that comes out to be something like 916 hours or five and a half weeks. If you've okay. got 5.5 10, 10, times 10 to the 48th. Um, oh, that was, it says that's how long until, uh, until meet space failure. Uh, the the actual process itself uh, lasted significantly longer than that by several orders of magnitude. The I see. I assumed the opposite. Not that it was going to come crashing down, but just that this one uh, fractal diagram is going to take up all computing resources until uh, either someone turns off the program or until the heat death of the universe, because it can't finish running it uh, with the processing power that it's available to it. Okay. Yeah, that checks out. Um... Oh, that's why it shows both. You're right. Uh, it says estimated time to process without intervention, 5.8 times 10 to the 53rd. Estimated time to meet space failure without intervention, 5.5 to the 10 to the 48th. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, look, this won't fix itself before whatever meet space fails, whether that's in whatever unit of time that is. Yeah. Um, maybe it's the heat death of the universe. Maybe it's like that's when the system's going to overheat. Maybe that's when he runs out of money to rent the Amazon <laughs> cloud computing time to run this. Like, who who knows what it is. But based on the meat space failure thing, it sounds like uh, this is implying that June is still in a physical body somewhere or somewhere instantiated that is not Arab uh, and um, and might be able to come out of that. That's possible. Um you know, if he's playing some version of Roy, it's not just sitting at the mall because this is rated R, right? I think I said that before, but yeah, um, it could be a in-depth therapy thing or something. But um, and yeah, so like his body outside of this is going to starve, right? <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, like that's meat space failure. But I, 
I sort of I was just reading it as like you know Arab itself will come crashing down because this this is running all the memory of the application right okay um, and so maybe that's what MeSpace was referring to yeah. um, in in either <laughs> case we still have to take it one level higher and wonder like why on earth is June seeing these warnings yes you know he well, doesn't I'm- have access to the things that can fix this right I would imagine these warnings are being shown to him as a way of saying, Hey, you fucked up. This would be game over. I'm, I'm giving you, you know, DM help this one time. Yeah. I would have, I, I could just imagine that as like a sticky note, taking up his entire field of view or something. This makes it look like, Oh, I fucked up. I forgot that this would crash the simulation. If you saw the wrong shape. So I need to fix this. Um, mm. It, I don't know. I, I am always assuming that the DM is playing at one level higher than me. So speculating is kind of pointless, but it's still fun. Yeah. Um, there, but, but yeah. anyway, yeah. So, oh, yeah. So anyway, the, the next thing that he gets here is that, okay, custom logic process triggered five X5R contingency, limiting custom logic process to 90% memory usage. So it's like, okay, you've exceeded the threshold. We're, we're going to cut it back to 90%. Mm-hmm. And because it's not taking up all of his brain anymore and thus taking up all of the computing power of the universe, um, now he's like, oh, okay. I, I have some room left over for thoughts. Not a lot, but just just barely he can do something. Yeah. And he um, dives into his soul and he's looking for a solution to the curse that Maddie put on him. Wait, no, not Maddie, Raven. And I just like how he's, it's, he's already, I think just the meditative place of soul, uh, the soul trance mm-hmm. kind of gave him the perspective again, even though he's still Voldajun right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it says that, no, no, Raven had a purpose where Maddie had none. Intellect and drive where Maddie was helpless, hopelessly adrift and unable to figure out her place in the world. Even their fathers were a symptom of it, and or a symptom of it. A doting, overly involved father for Raven where Maddie's had skipped town when she was little. Yeah. And what's fun is I think we knew all of those things, those parallels. Hmm. And if I was more literate, I, I would have picked up on them earlier. But I'm glad that they were just pointed out to us. Oh, I mean... I think you're well. Okay, maybe if you're like a genius level uh, reader or something, you could pick up on those. But like, I don't think we only got what a dozen paragraphs, maybe a bit more than a dozen paragraphs in total with Maddie. So it, it wasn't a lot to go on. It would be it would be something to be able to pick up on those parallels and suss them out without having the, our attention drawn to them with so little uh, plot focus being put on Maddie before this. I think the only thing that would have made me think about it more is like if raven had been in the group longer before we got the maddie info drop yeah because at this point the maddie chapter came first then the raven chapter and at that point we did all we did know the stuff about raven but i just thought it was fun and yeah it was very cool if we ever come across somebody here who has an uh earth counterpart i'll definitely you know look for those kinds of of parallels or comparisons yeah, but unfortunately, all of his other companions uh, weren't people he grew up with on Earth. So, yeah. Um, all right, he has the best idea ever, and he doesn't actually do it. But I'm so glad. So he says, "I could summon the cannibal if he were to come to the library." That was certainly a thought worth considering. And it doesn't. So as I paused when I was reading that, I was like, "Okay, it doesn't sound like he's going to do this." But I'm so so glad that he has this idea in his back pocket, so my dream version of this can still happen. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I don't know what, he, ha- what he thought would happen though this is a bad time to try it like presumably yeah. the cannibal can get through the wards and just rip him to pieces yes that's so, i would imagine so yeah he's not in a very great spot here mm-hmm. 
If the cannibals ever been stopped by wards before, that's something that uh, Amaryllis would have told June. Right. Yeah, like cannibal, yeah, super easy. Just throw up some anti-cannibal wards and you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, he is contemplating this after uh, the game layer, the, first of all, the game layer unfucked him by saying like, here, have some of your brain back. And so he goes into his soul and he strangles down the process so that it's just this tiny little thread. It's no longer taking up all his computing powers. It's barely even noticeable. And uh, so now he's he's free from that, but he's still evil June and he's stuck inside all these wards. There's a sound ward against him and everything. He can't move. And so he was thinking, like, what the hell can I do to get out of this situation? This sucks. And one of them was the cannibal. Uh, but he, he discards that idea because he doesn't want to get his, you know, butt eaten by the cannibal along with the rest of him. <laughs> <laughs> and he finally, after some contemplation, just realizes that, uh, he says, if I actually wanted to level up, which I desperately did, then the most logical thing for me to do was alter the core of my being. Uh, future self, you must put real meaningful effort into leveling up, or if I ever gain power again, I will destroy the things you love. And then he changes himself back into non-evil June, um, which I guess, well, before we get to the acausal trading thing, like to me, it, it felt like when he did this, that evil June, June just killed himself uh, to, to make sure his values are fulfilled, which is very much like a parent would sacrifice themselves for a child or a soldier would jump on a grenade for his comrades. So, you know, I, I thought, I almost thought it was, not almost. I did think it was kind of noble of uh, of Evil June to be like, you know what? Leveling up is so important to me. I am okay killing myself as long as there is a level up as a result. Goodbye, cruel, unlevel world. And I'm jumping <laughs> on that grenade. Um, I think maybe. I, I You might be giving Evil June too much credit. Like, I, the way that I read that is he's like, okay, you know, you know, dumb June, who I'm about to, you know, let resurface, you better actually level up again, which will put me back in charge. Um, and if you don't, I'll ruin your life. Um, and so I, I think that the, um, like, this is the kind of trade off, like a lot of people in the chronics community are willing to make, right? You know, if, if restoring a, a brain from crowd preservation only has 85% fidelity, like most of us are fine with that. You know, I'd rather 85% of me persist than zero. Yeah. And so, I think that he's because he's not an entirely different person. It's not like throwing himself on a grenade because he's not exactly dying. He's just mm, changing his values. And he is apparently dumb enough to think that good June will uh, like listen to him. Well, I mean, which I, is actually interesting because because good June has no problem modeling evil June. See, I think I disagree with you in two respects. Uh, the first being that I think it totally is basically like killing himself. Like if evil June just continued existing, we would consider good June dead, right? Like the person that was the June we knew is gone and there's just this monster in his place. And I think it works the other way too. Like now that evil June is gone, like he's dead and there's this different person who has the same body body and the same memories, but is just a different person now. That's a good point. Um, and I think you're right. If, if evil June stayed in charge, then I'd be like, oh shit, good June's dead. That, that yeah. does drive that point home. But the other thing is that um, I I think that he he did correctly model good June and get his uh, get his values fulfilled because his value is to have there be more level ups and now that um good June is back in charge we know he's going to gain more levels throughout the story right like this isn't his last level ever or maybe I don't know maybe it is but I simply assumed at the time that evil June was like you know what leveling up is so important to me that. 
I don't even care if I have to die in order to get more level ups. Bring getting that number one one higher is more important to me than continuing to exist. And so he's like, "All right, good June. I know you're going to level, so do it. Bye." Yeah, I I think the only thing that I would still draw contention with is the no is the noble part of that because it's not like he's not saving anyone. He's just saying, "Look, I want somebody to enjoy." the the ecstasy of having you know god lick your neurons um you know it and it's it's going to in a sense be me you know it's not like he's he's giving this up for somebody else um Mm. but yeah it's it's interesting i liked how quick his reasoning was on it too he's like okay i'm fucked and i can't convincingly fake not being evil so um or you know he's not using the word evil but he gets it um (laughs) I mean, if nothing else, he'll get to exist for like a couple seconds during the next level up before they crank his level thing down to to normal again. Yeah, I'm trying to think, you know, of a different analogy rather than like throwing yourself on a grenade or or sacrificing yourself for a child. Well, I mean, they actually, I think uh, Amaryllis or Raven, one of them, makes a a much better analogy later on, which I comment on, and I was like, oh wow, this is a totally different way of looking at it, and. We can like revisit it when we get to that because I don't remember exactly what they said, but I know it's in the notes. Works for me. Okay. Um, okay. And yeah. So uh, that that was his big trick was like, okay, well, I'm gonna go ahead and put Good June back in charge because he's a be- he's better at acting uh, sane than I am. Mm-hmm. And uh, that will get him released. Oh yeah, this a causal trading. Is this a causal trading? It kind of feels like a causal trading to me. You'll have to tell me what a causal trading is first. Uh, a causal trading is when you strike a bargain with an entity that doesn't exist in your universe, knowing that they would do the same for you if they did exist in the idea that in other universes, they will do this. Like, uh, you will dedicate some portion of the universe to making paper clips if you ever become a super AI, because, uh, you would want a paper clipper AI to dedicate some portion of the universe to letting humans live. So it's like trading with them. I, I, I'm fuzzy on how it actually works, and uh, and it seems it seems almost silly. <laughs> but I, I'm smarter than people than me think that it is a thing that is both interesting and uh, could be done. So this kind of feels like that, where he's like trading with a uh, good June, like you don't exist right now, but you will. So uh, I'm I'm betting that you are going to do the thing I want, which is get more levels. If I do the thing you want, which is letting you exist. And therefore here's the trade and you throw it into the wind and hope that it works. Well, spelling it that way. makes sense. I don't quite get with the idea of AIs, you know, dedicating certain resources for certain things, but I could kind of see it if I'm trading, like I said, other versions of myself. At first I was thinking of like prisoner's dilemma things, but I was like, no, wait, if I'm going to do it like in this fantastical of a way, I can actually do that right now, right? I got to go buy lottery tickets because in the other branches of the universe, some percentage of Stevens will win. And the more the more of us that buy lottery tickets, the more we increase the, the probability of some of us winning. As long as you have some kind of quantum random way to determine your numbers. Yeah, I think you can just go to the thing and tell them you want random. I'm not sure how that how their little computer generates a random number, but... Um, I mean, it's it's not quantum randomness. It would be probably the same random numbers for all the versions of you that are similar enough for it to matter. I suppose, but you don't think that like some you know one little bit flip would be different if one Everett branch of Stephen was half a second delayed getting getting into the gas station. 
Like, yeah, maybe that's that's true. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I have always heard that you want true quantum randomness for these things just to eliminate the possibility of there being, you know, determinism in the randomization process, since it's only quasi random that real computers do. Yeah. Well, in any case, uh, it could well be a causal trading. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We don't know. If someone knows more about a causal trading than we do, please tell us if that is, this is a case of that. And, uh, we will be ever thankful and read your answer on air. Works for me. Cool. All right. Moving forward. Um, oh yeah. Uh, so he becomes good June again and good June, like immediately starts thinking about evil June. And he says, he thinks that the idea that I would sacrifice something so essential, like his own existence with almost no thought put into it was frightening. And I was just like, yeah, I can, I can again, see why soul mages were viewed as horrifying back when they were around. They would just turn people into these things that, that nothing else mattered. Yeah. I read that. And I can't remember looking back now at just that note. If he was, uh, the thing that he had thrown away to like he had sacrificed that was essential if that was the like his life evil june's life or if it was the value of leveling up oh. uh, which seems to be way more important than his life right yeah uh so important that he was willing to just i mean he didn't have a plan to get out of the library right right if he killed yeah. everyone here he'd, he'd just be stuck eating goop for the rest of his life trying to level up from bo- reading books like <laughs> oh. well maybe he could find the book that tells him how to leave the library <laughs> That's true. It's probably in there somewhere. Um, I don't know. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Like I said, to me, it was... And maybe, maybe I think he did a good job explaining how Dark Side June is doing a better job modeling regular June than I give him credit for. Mm. But it does seem that in addition to like some level of short-sightedness, uh, it is also just an inability to really spend the time thinking about the consequences of your actions because that's time that could be spent putting effort into leveling up. Right, yeah. But uh, he did, he does become uh, not evil again, and he flags down Raven to tell her. And I, I had to pull this out because she's like, uh, you, you know, you were just evil and rampaging. He's like, yeah, I fixed myself. And I wasn't sure if I should face palm at that or give him a look of disapproval or what exactly. Because you don't just go on a murderous rampage and kill tons of people and then a few minutes later be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I fixed myself. I'm okay now. I- I'm good now, I decided. <laughs> i mean what what do you do i don't know but you you can't just say i fixed myself he's not even like oh my god i'm so sorry i murdered your friends he's like i I fixed myself yeah my my bad um i mean this is exactly the kind of thing that you know evil june would say like this sounds like the first shoddy attempt at faking that you've gotten better right yeah hey look i'm good now you can let me go I don't believe you. No, seriously, I, I'm I'm fine. You should really let me go so I can show you how fine I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, feels like a Ryan George skit, honestly. Right. Um, at least Raven is has this happiness not to believe him right away. Um, yeah. Once he explains what he did, you know, she's like, okay, fine. I've heard weirder shit. You know, yeah. I think that's basically how it shakes out. He does. Out of all this, he he still has the little meme in his head. It's just like strangled down to the level where it doesn't affect him. But like. It's there, and he says, I have a weapon that I can deploy against other soul mages now, should it come to that. I was like, Jesus Christ! He he leveled up like an idiot, murdered a ton of people, ruined like this library, basically, for himself. He's never going to be able to use this thing again, and he gets a boon out of it. That's, that's, that is so unfair. He should have gotten some kind of penalty for fucking up so badly. 
I wish Volter were still alive just so his mind could be shattered by this thing. Yes, that would be sweet. Because the, the the game wouldn't reduce the computing power ruining Volter down to 90% of his like overall memory, right? No, no. The game he would just, like, he would just hey. let it turn him into a drooling mess. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I Yeah, sweet deal. I mean, uh, so he didn't just use uh, soul magic to do it. He used uh, spirit magic too, right? Like that, yes. he looked at the... There was some yeah. diagrammy line looking thing and he at first he just went grabbing at parts and I was like, wait, what the hell are you doing? Are you just trying to like hammer a solution to this? But he had identified it as the big bulky bit that was taking up too much resources. Mm-hmm. But yeah, secret secret mind smash is when someone tries to read his memories. He's he's in a, an advantageous spot now. Yeah. Just got another superpower hidden up his back pocket now. It's he just keeps getting stronger as this thing goes on. <laughs> Uh, he he does say uh, that, you know, I'm good now. Can you let me out? And she's like, no, they're, they're probably going to do the mind wipe thing on you. And he's like, come on, d- don't let them do that. I'm really important. I need to save the world. And he's trying to convince Raven to uh, break him out of the library, basically. And it's interesting. One of the things he's, he's saying to her uh, to try to convince her is that there is a purpose to this world and to the people. Um, and he kind of waxes on about this for a little bit. He's like, for you, well, for you, I think you were Arthur's moral compass. You kept him grounded and reminded him of home. Uh, for me, the your purpose is probably to show me who Maddie could have been. And like, that's just, again, hammered home to me how fucking weird it is that everything that exists is about him. Like, Raven has been around for 500, no, 700, what, she's 17 at this point? 1700 years? She's like, my entire existence for 1700 years is just so that I can show you what someone you knew could have been. Like, that's my purpose. I passed the butter. (laughs) What is my purpose? Pass the butter. Thank you. What is my purpose? You pass butter. Oh my God. Yeah. Welcome to the club, pal. It must be just a bizarre thing to run into someone like that. You know, like when they're right. It, that that's exactly it. That's that's what I was gonna say. You know, Harry would talk about people as NPCs once in a while, methods of personality. When June's talking about it like this, it's just it's made all the worse because he's probably right. Um, yeah. You know. Okay. Yeah. No. I. You've shown me. You've convinced me enough that you've basically created this place. I guess. Yeah. I'm. You know. Would you like? <laughs> yeah. When tell me when to pass the butter. You've got it. <laughs> yeah, um, I- that said, he does go on to say. Um, you know, so maybe this is my chance to be a better person, except I don't think it's that simple because maybe I'm supposed to be something to you too. I just don't know what, I just don't know what, um, mm. maybe I'm supposed to be the opposite of Uther or at least opposite in some ways, trusting where he was secretive, taking advice where he ignored it, working together instead of charging ahead. I don't know. And in one sense that is like still June centric, you know, mm-hmm. I can learn a lesson by, by being a different person. Like this will help me become a better person. Yeah. But it's it's got her considerations in the mix, right? Not just yeah. like what can I do for you, but or what can you do for me, but what can I do for you? And yes, that does ultimately serve me, but there's no way around that. Okay, so I, I think I think it's cool. All right, I, I guess it's not just about him. It's yeah, it's sort of a mix, but it does center on him. It does, and unfortunately, there's just no way around that. But he he does at yeah. least choose to go walking around here. Uh, walking around Arab, that is meeting people and deciding to treat them like people and try to help them, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now, so Raven hears all that 
And then she's like, okay, I'll get you out. Mm-hmm. And then we get the loyalty increase. So she's a companion. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, so that's great. But I, I, in my nose, I started with the dis- disapproval because it was less fun and I wanted to enjoy it. On the one hand, she should never have agreed to this, at least not yet, right? Mm-hmm. This is the same thing with like the Martha Superman thing that I mentioned, where it's like, you just said words that made me want to free you. Like, if anything, I need to shove a gag in your mouth and you mm. know, not let you try and convince people to do stuff because it's scarily good. Yeah. That it sucks because he's, you know, this is all true. He's being honest, but it's just at this point, he's compromised. He should be presumed compromised. Mm. Um, but, you know, she's seen some shit. Maybe she knows what lying looks like. I don't know. Um, the fact that he overcame the mind whammy from that book suggests that something is going on, right? It's interesting. Does this mean that if like in real life you're ever convinced of something, your your first instinct would be to gag the person because they're so convincing that you shouldn't listen to them? Well, if you convince me of the truth of that statement, I've got to hang up. So, um, <laughs> no, this, damn it. This, this, this is only in, in effect when I'm dealing with like super powerful entities okay. um, or super intelligent ones. Okay. So, so this is know, your way of like not letting the AI talk you into letting it out of the box. Yeah, I, I just feel like okay. it's. I feel like a standard protocol. If uh, if something that is way smarter than you makes a very convincing argument, do something that makes no fucking sense to you, mm-hmm. you should just have a like a deontological maximum that says I will never do what a smarter thing than me con- convinces me to do. That said, there's lots of obvious ways that'll bite you in the ass. Um, I mean, what if the smarter thing the, the the thing that's smarter than you is telling you to get a COVID vaccine? Luckily, I got to hear it from peers that I could comprehend. Okay. Right? What What if you're not smart enough to be peers with those people and comprehend them? Not that I'm saying this is what's happening. I just want to make it clear to no, our yeah. listeners. But, uh, you know. If the I, advice I, came down from, you know, the the AI in a box. And like I said, so this, this, this does break apart the moment I actually do have to deal with interacting with one of these agents. But as long as I'm judging fictional characters, I can set on my high horse. Um I suspect like actually, the fall would hurt a lot uh, if, from the fall off my high horse. That is would hurt a lot in real life as soon as the situation came around. But like, because if it's convincing, then it's actually convincing, right? If it was making a very convincing argument to do something that makes no sense, you're not convinced yet. It, it would be a very convincing argument that you're like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. But like, say something that didn't make sense 10 seconds ago and you're dealing with an agent that you believe like you, you strongly believe is hostile. Yeah. Um you know, in the case of Batman trying to kill Superman or Maddie or Raven listening to June here, like she, just, she should, everything should be suspect that he's saying, right? I'm, well, yes, I agree. I just think that that reasoning can also be extended to be, uh, don't believe anything that you hear from the mainstream media because they know how to lie very well, uh, and you can't trust them. And I mean, I don't, I don't even necessarily think that's bad advice. <laughs> Seeing some of the stuff that I've seen over the past year, I'm like, wow, holy shit, they, they, are not to be trusted but it seems like too much of a fully general counter argument to be like oh well you're smarter slash more powerful than me and therefore i can't trust anything you're saying that that has its own problems because sometimes you gotta i don't know i think if i draw the line at like super smarter than me you know because i know people who are smarter than me all the and i you know talk with them all the time like and if one of them you know when i was at the last meetup Matt was telling me that his brother showed him a proof that there are more, uh, like there's a larger infinity between zero and one than there is of integers above one. Okay. And like, so if someone asked me on a, on a trivia show, 
to which you know which way to to bet there. I would just bet the way Matt said, even though he also said that he saw the proof but doesn't remember why it was convincing. Okay, and I'm like, well, nice. the fact that Matt told me that is convincing enough to me that I would you know bet on that if given uh, a choice of either or. Um, yeah. That is almost dealing with something that is beyond my comprehension. But I feel like if I dedicated some time, I could understand it. And I don't think Matt's a hostile agent trying to convince me to do something insane. Um, yeah. But again, I think that this is the thing that strictly applies in currently fictional scenarios. You know, Ooh, if- one second. How are you feeling? Okay, great. Glad to hear it. Charlie just got back from getting her booster. Sorry. Oh, nice. Uh, for what it's worth, it, I'm also never going to get a booster, I don't think. I'm planning to get one, but I haven't gotten my six, hit my six-month thing yet. I don't think it does anything. No? Uh, may, and this could be, you know, me being anti-vax. I feel like it's just, this is the kind of thing that I could see just being more signaling of the same, you know, like, no, the vaccines are the best. In fact, we should have more of them. We should all be getting two a month. Um, yeah. Like, because, you know, those those damned anti-vaxxers are so wrong. Um, yeah. And I don't know what else you ever need to do this for. Like, we don't need <laughs> active antibodies uh, running around in our body to, to be effective. You need memory T cells trained on those antibodies yeah. or trained. And so we have those. That's why, like, I'll never get chicken pox again, even though I don't currently have antibodies for them flowing through my bloodstream. So speaking of uh, not trusting entities that are much smarter than you that are trying to convince you of something. Yeah, I don't know if it's worth leaving all that in or not, but well, I mean, uh, I, I kind of almost think it is because, like, that's that is what the at least the mainstream scientific establishment in the U.S. is saying, and yet you are not trusting them. All right, well, as long as this is on the record, then I need to mm-hmm. to further qualify my position in that I feel like whatever marginal benefit I would get from a booster is substantially less of a benefit than somebody who hasn't had a shot yet getting their first shot. Oh, yeah, that and, is, goes way beyond saying. That is right. ridiculously so, well, true. But but it's worth saying because we still have many billions of people on Earth who aren't vaccinated yet. Yeah, but if you're getting your and booster, so b- are you before, thinking... Before I'm triple dipping, I might as well, like, I, I would rather... And yes, it's kind of like, I, I can't get the shot and hands deliver it to somebody in the third world or whatever. Yeah, it but feels feel a like, lot to me like when parents say, finish your plate because there's people starving in China or Africa or wherever. And you're like, what? I, if I don't finish my plate do they get the food or something like either way they're still going to be hungry how does how are these two related at all yeah that was maybe my first time on some level of of being a little kid of realizing that like sometimes parents don't know what the fuck they're saying because <laughs> I, <laughs> some, that I that was said to me once when i was you know single digits of of age and i was like that makes no sense they're gonna you know if they're hungry they need this food and if if how how does their hunger relate to me and they're they something along the lines of like, you know, be grateful or whatever. It's like, that's fine. I am, but I'm also not hungry. Like, uh, yeah. So why did I bring all that up? Oh um, yes. If, if I don't get a booster, it's not like it's going to go into the crates that go overseas. Eventually. I don't know. I feel like the less people that are souping them up here, the sooner we'll get around to putting them out. And then I might as well, if compelling evidence comes down that I need a yearly booster, I'm super into it, but it's going to be like a flu shot. And that's, those yeah. aren't even boosters, right? Those right. are new flu shots. Yes, they are. when they make when they make a vaccine for Delta, I'll be I'll be you know in line the second they let healthy youngish people get in, right? Okay, um, so I may be displaying my own ignorance here. I thought the booster also uh, was modified to protect against Delta. Is it not? I don't know. If that's the case, then um, then count me in. Well, uh, damn it! Hold on a sec. Booster COVID Delta. I predict why you're not that you will not d- find a quick answer because the internet is muddled with nonsense on this subject. 
the first thing I see is from sept- late September, why you're not getting a Delta-specific booster yet is the headline. So I guess um, the booster doesn't. Boosters for Delta, question mark. Updated vaccines to fight the variant are in trials. Okay, so fuck the FDA. They are once again screwing everything up by making them go through trials, it sounds like. <sighs> you know, I think the first time you told me that, like, how much you hated the FDA, I was like, that's a weirdly strong position to take against the FDA. And mm-hmm. it was sinking in well before the pandemic. But ever since, I'm like, okay, yeah, no, you were 100% right. This is the dumbest fucking institution ever. Um yeah. I get, I get where the the idea comes from, and maybe go ahead, to, go ahead and regulate food, but put yeah. a a less like sluggish monolithic entity in front of drug regulation. I, we can't yeah, I would sit like for it. a year on every fucking life saving you know problem that we have to. Yeah, yeah, I, I would like an agency to test the drugs and make sure that they have what they say in them, and not one that is like you cannot sell these drugs until you get our approval which takes a hundred million dollars in two years uh yeah, according F- fda to- fda approval should be a stamp on a bottle that's that says yes this actually does contain what the bottle says it contains right exactly in the stated in the stated quantities because i can't do that testing myself like i wish they had that agency for uh supplements like i like the fact that dietary supplements aren't covered by the fda because it means i can get things like uh m M&M, m M&M, the you know the 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 nad plus stuff that we take uh we can get that without having to wait however many tens of years it's going to take to get through trials we can just buy it same thing with like fish oil uh but on the other hand i wish there was some sort of agency which tested these things and on each bottle there was a little stamp that said yes this product actually contains what it says it contains because i have heard that a lot of uh supplements um don't actually have very much of what they say like sometimes your vitamin supplements just don't really have the vitamins in them yeah, I was just listening to a podcast with a sleep scientist, and he was saying that, I mean, A, I've, I've never liked melatonin since I, I, long story, but he says that the bottles that you buy in the store can contain somewhere between 20% and five times of what it actually says per pill. Yeah, yeah. It's like They're the, just not controlled. I, you know, why don't you make a FDA light that just gives stamps? Anyways, according to uh, a news story from November 4th from the Associated Press, the COVID-9 boosters use the same recipe as the original shots. Great. More power to them. <laughs> you know, again, I'm, I want everyone to get, get at least one vaccine, probably two. And then uh, unless there's compelling evidence I'm missing, but I don't want this to be the whole like COVID thing. No. So yeah. Let's, just, let's, let's take a hard swing updated. back in. Yes. And wow. That got really political, which is unusual for us. Sorry for all the listeners who are not into the politics thing. No, you're should... fine. I, I won't apologize for being political. I don't think that there's any sense whatsoever that the science behind this should be politically charged. That makes that that's more annoying than anything else about all of this. Right. I don't apologize yeah, but... for, for its political fuel. I apologize for the digression. Yes. Well, I mean, but I, I particularly dislike political digressions in non-political podcasts because lots of times people try to listen to those to get away from all the politics and shit, you know? This wasn't politics. This was talking about the truth or falsity of, of a testable claim. <laughs> I Very Facts well. Facts aren't political. I know that they are, but I refuse to let that be the, be the case. You are, the, you are living the change that you want to be in the world. Imagine believing something or not because you thought your politics told you to. That's insane. Um, I realize that's like everybody, but luckily I think I just didn't, I don't have strong politics. It probably makes me weak in a lot of ways, but at least I'm saved in that one way. Um, all right. June convinced Raven to break him out of the library. Um, 
and including possibly murder some people on the way out because no one else is on board letting this uh, overpowered psychopath lose, right? Yeah, he saw several people laying on the ground behind Raven as she was running out and wasn't sure if they were dead or just incapacitated. Yeah. Uh, June waits behind the wards in the dark for hours with a full bladder, not once commenting how boring that would be. <laughs> Maybe he was so preoccupied with trying to hold his pee that he wasn't bored. It's just hours passed. I had to pee. That's the only indication that we get of time passing. And I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> you get bored so easily. You know, could have done some soul yeah. searching. But I guess you don't want to close your eyes and be in soul trance when, as you know, your opportunity to escape happens. But yeah, uh, I feel bad for the guy. As someone yeah. else who gets bored easily as well, I would I would lose my mind. Well, you don't want to bore your readers, though. You know what's funny is it says hours past needed to pee. Maybe it was like 15 minutes. Oh, it just felt like hours because he had to pee so bad. <laughs> and he's just bored. Yeah, right. Oh, God, it's been an eternity. <laughs> <laughs> Minute hand ticks by once. It must have been shift changed three times by now. How am yeah. I still here? <laughs> Uh, they do get out at the very end, and I am now wondering if they are going to send out library assassins to hassle June. Like, sometimes in games, if, when you do something particularly bad, the organization that you fuck over will just send out assassins after you, and you have random encounters with them for the rest of the game. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you don't have to do anything that bad. If you accidentally steal, like, a flower from someone's garden in Skyrim, they'll hire <laughs> assassins to try and kill you at a price that must just, you know, completely dwarf the uh, benefit they could have gotten from keeping their fucking lavender plant or whatever but um <laughs> very so you, kill the, you kill the assassins and then you find a note on them that says like hey it's me thanks for letting me hire you to kill this person signed mm. you know the person who hired you um <laughs> not the kind of letter i'd give to my assassins either no p.s the reason i hired you is because he stole one lavender oh yeah no that's that's actually kind of basically what they say um okay it, it's just not in the postscript it's like that you know they wronged me they stole my stuff but anyway I do like the idea. I think library assassins would be awesome. They have some precog, you know, shenanigans on their side. Um, yeah. Then again, I liked how you compared them to Miri last episode. And I think that Miri wouldn't throw away their aim for a better future just to get revenge on some asshole and, and a single defector. Hmm. Yeah. Like, okay. Well, fuck that guy. Yeah. He comes back. He comes back in here. We'll, we won't ask questions. We'll shoot him. But we're not going to stop quit, stop doing our jobs because as much as that sucked, our jobs are more important. Well, maybe if they like had excess funds or something, next time there's a shift change, they could just send out someone with with some money and a note. That's a good point. Yeah, they don't have to like stop working at the library to do this. They just when they're out on on their shift on the outside, yeah, they swing by the assassin's office and or the the I don't know what you call them the the Dark Brotherhood, <laughs> um, yeah, the the guild of a uh, guild of killers, yeah. and be like, hey, one one hit, please. Yes, this guy, <laughs> that'd be great. Thank you. Your local Assassin's Union representative. Your call is important to us. Your local Assassin's Union representative will be on shortly. All right. Uh, oh, thank you for holding. That's actually perfect. That's the name of this chapter. All right. Woohoo! That was yep. a strained accident, but let's pretend it was on purpose. Yes. Chapter 135, where they all meet back in the house to go over what things have been happening uh, to to the two of them, to the two teams, uh, with June being on one and everyone else being on the other. They meet in this uh, room, which is just a gigantic meeting room. He has to actually walk for a significant period of time to get to the meeting table in the center. And um, he doesn't say anything about it but he, to, to out loud, but he says it's too fucking big. And um, I, I mean, I agree with him, but also like... It's kind of cool that Bethel is this like just over the top baroque kind of aesthetic to her. It it 
feels Bethel-y, I guess, which which sounds kind of strange, but it does, and like really unique, and I like it a lot. It gives her a lot of personality, and it fits in with how I view her already. Hey, if you're saying Bethel's broke, I agree with you. <laughs> if she's not Baroque, don't fix her. <laughs> <laughs> and as I always say, if it's not Baroque, don't fix it. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> that was one of the, Beauty the, the cringy dad, dad jokes. Um, I could see, and he did the sinister laugh that, you know, it, it, it got me. Now I kind of get what you're going through. And I've heard that one before. Um, oh, you think, I didn't think it was a sinister laugh. I thought it was just a goofy laugh. Oh, well, I thought you do that you were inflicting punnery on somebody. <laughs> anyway, yes, I agree with both Broke and Baroque. Um, it seems to fit her vibe, you know? Yeah. She's old school. She, you know, other like when she, when she became Bethel and stopped being, I forget what she identified. What did they call her before? Was it Kunduna when she was wearing Tiff's? I don't know, oh, whatever. Uh, um, she went by Zona then. That's right. With yes. his wife. Yeah. So when she changed to Bethel, you know, she chose this seven foot tall, you know, long dress, you know, whatever. Um, she could have chosen any shape she wanted, right? Or no shape at all. But she has an aesthetic and it's kind of cool. Yeah. She ha- she has a personality. Yep. That said, most of her personality sucks, but it's cool that she has one. <laughs> Speaking of her personality, she refers to Amaryllis as June's better half. Or I'm sorry, she refers to June as Amaryllis's better half. Uh, and I don't know, I, was, I wasn't I was sure what to make of that. Like maybe she'd already read the copy that Cypress Awaits that June has on him. Or maybe she just ships June and Amy, which would be weird because she hates Amy so much. But possible? I don't know. I just assumed that literally anyone else in the room with Amaryllis is Amaryllis's better half, if you ask Bethel. Um, mm. But... Yep. Hmm. Yeah, th- it does have the connotation of like romance. It's possible yeah. that she read the books um, or that she, you know, because she's watching everybody all the time and licking their cervixes and stuff. So like <laughs> she she was aware of when Palada went in for, you know, uh, intimate smooch and Amaryllis pushed her away. Um, <laughs> According like, I, I get, to Amaryllis. I'm getting the impression that this is a dig at that. Just, you know, oh, look, here's that guy. Um, but yeah, could be. I don't, okay. I don't know if she ships anybody just because I don't know if she has that sort of romance. Her idea of romance is eating somebody, right? <laughs> Could be, yeah. No, that's that she wants to marry uh, Ropey, and that's what she plans to do with him. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Okay, I'd yeah. forgotten about Ropey getting eaten already. Well, I think he, I, I don't think we missed the wedding. He hasn't been eaten, no, no. Yeah. But the fact that she's planning on eating him. Psychopath. Mm-hmm. Again, I want, I want Beth, I want Ropey, I want to see him say, I do. Yeah. before i'm okay with this and then of course you know if i'm being paranoid all beth would have to do is like pin ropey down with her magic and then put a hologram of him saying i do right that's true yeah she's i wouldn't put it past her then again what would she get out of ropey that she would go through so much effort for maybe she's just a crazy cannibal person she's the entad cannibal could be that could also be true love could be that now to think about it why would you go through so much trouble if she didn't actually like him hmm Speaking of trouble, yes. um, the Nazi scientists went through a lot of trouble doing bad research on the uh, druids and the loci, right? Yes, they did. And Solace uh, says, like, all right, great. Um, regarding the science book, she says, keep your soiled research outside, though. And I'm like, you know, no one likes the idea of benefiting from that kind of research. But as long as it's, you know, on your lap, you might as well, you know, benefit from it if it's there. You're not going to undo the harm by yeah. not reading it. And you could get some benefit out of it. Um, I, I've always... Okay. Oh, no, go ahead. This is uh, related, but not 
uh, directly? Well, in um, in the Expanse series, uh, which they did, they have. I think it's on Amazon now. Uh, it was on Sci-Fi for a while, uh, but I read the first two books, and in the books, anyway, when someone does basically Nazi science, uh, the protagonist takes the data and destroys it, and like it was good data that would have told the world a lot but he's like no that just incentivizes more nazi science so i am destroying it no one will ever get it and i like i sympathize with that on the one hand like so many people died to get this data and it feels like such a waste but on the other hand like i really like his principles and i maybe that's just the way that things should be and we should not profit from nazi science no, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a good example. Uh, my my thinking implicit in this example with the Second Empire is that these these people have all been dead for hundreds of years, yeah. right? And everyone knows that they're on the wrong side of history and no one's trying to be like the Second Empire again. So it's like we came across stuff and it won't incentivize people to do it again. You know, he didn't pay for this book. Um, you know, everyone who worked on the project is dead. So like it, but if this was somebody on the other side of, of air currently doing this research, I would not go buy a copy of their book. Right. Yeah. Uh, if I was June and they were doing locusts and Druid killing research, I might go kill them. Right. Yeah. The weird thing is like the Nazi science, like I don't know what else it was, but I know hypothermia, at least a lot of our research and knowledge about hypothermia came from them freezing people to death. And we've saved a lot of lives by knowing what they know about hypothermia and applying it. So, if I had destroyed that research, then people would be dead that aren't dead in the real world, but still feels like it should have been destroyed rather than used. I don't know. I don't know enough about the historical background of learning about hypothermia to determine how long it would have taken us to figure that out without just drowning, you know, innocent people in cold water. But um, anyway, conundrum. Yeah. And I also, have, I also have a question. June says he wants to sleep in the bottle from now on. Yes. And I'm curious... Uh, why he wants to do that? Do you think it's privacy from Bethel or to bond with the locusts? Probably a bit of both. That's that was my thinking. Yeah, you know he only the, gets, uh, you know, he doesn't get any level or uh, loyalty increases from the locusts when he's not in the jar, right? So mm-hmm. it's like fuck it, I'm gonna. What's really cool, and he doesn't say this outright exactly, but he he comes back and he's immediately focused on his friends again, right? Yeah. You know, he was very understandably caught up in his grief for a while. But even before that, he was caught up in his relationship, which is also common, right? Mm -hmm. Um, He's a teenager in a in a new romance, Um, Mm -hmm. but he's like, no, Amaryllis. I think something. There was a line where he's like, no, I think that you know, Amaryllis. He's talking to her. She's like, no, I think I think you're you're going to do some awesome stuff, and I want to be there for it, right? Yeah, like it's a really cool thing, and he's immediately making rounds around the house to give everyone hugs. Except yeah. for Val, I notice, which I'm bummed about. I hope they talk soon, but we don't know that they don't talk this reading until the end of the reading. So I, that's when I mentioned it in my notes. So yeah, I, um, I think he's probably still trying to come to grips with his feelings about Val. Totally, or maybe it's because she has very spiky armor, and thus it's hard to hug her. <laughs> She's probably just wearing it all the time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, hanging out, with, hanging out with the doe. He's like, you know what? I should have been doing this the whole time. Mm-hmm. This, this is a companion. I have to learn from it, and it has to learn from me. Like. We're gonna we're gonna work this out. So, well, that's a good that's a good point. Part of his thing that he said to to Raven when he was trying to convince her was like, "I have to learn from you too." That's part of what this is about. So now he's probably going to be trying harder to learn from all his companions because he seems to be much more convinced now that they do they have a role in the story like about him, and he can't just take him for granted. He has to connect and find out what that role is and all that. You know, it's nice that he's got 
you know, granted, it's a bummer. A lot of his circumstances here are a drag because he's the protagonist in the story and he knows it. But like, on the one hand, it would be nice to kind of do that with everybody you meet or that you're friends with in real life, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't know that the people that you meet or work with or spend time with are people that you should be taking lessons from. Right. But June Some of does. Them, you know, yeah, because they're the official companions. Yeah. yeah. So he's the game already does that weeding out for him, you know? Mm-hmm. If he if he befriended an asshole that, you know, is, oh, I should try and learn something from this person. What what do I try to pick up from them, right? And there just turns <laughs> so, out to be nothing. Well, you, you learn the type of person that you shouldn't be around sometimes. But but if you're, like, desperately seeking something, like, what what is it that I'm supposed to gain from this person? You know, they must have some wisdom. So you can't walk around. We can't walk around our lives doing that, but June can. Yeah. <laughs> but he's not going to be walking. He's going to be flying using the egress. Oh, um, yeah. The uh, the fox person left it, and he just immediately, like, I don't know. He's back in gear, right? We were, were I don't know what we've been up to. We were busy, you know, getting a fortress, birthing solace, um, dealing with the cannibal and that sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, everything kind of took a back seat. And he's like, no, nope, all right. All my friends really matter again. And also, we're going to get shit done. Let's take the spaceship to some of Uther's old caches, to some exclusion zones. Got to go talk to Masters. He's got a box of goodies that's for me. Like, he's he's focused. I don't know. I was going to say it seems like he's focused on leveling up. But it's not so much to level up. I think it is, it is like, all right, let's get shit done. Right? Yeah. yeah. Which amounts to the same thing. But mm, Evil uh, June was smart to trust him. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, his level up value is low again. But that's not really the point. Yeah. It seems without that, he's still able to drive or like to be driven to do these things. Yep. Yeah. Being uh, Speaking of being driven to do things, Amaryllis is talking about a uh, narrative again. And she says that uh, she would prefer if he didn't go running off on his own again. But she realizes that the rule of three is in play. And uh, he asks rule of three. I'm like, okay, okay. First, I went solo with speculation and scrutiny. Then I left all you guys behind and went solo in Infinite Library. And Amaryllis says, yep. Two times establishes a pattern, so there's going to be a third time. And either the third time is the deviation from the previous two, or uh, the first two encounters was like one win and one loss, and then the third one will be a tiebreaker. And I thought that was really interesting. It sets up a lot of possibilities, which I guess is either we are going to be looking out for a third time that June has the opportunity to run off solo, but then he decides not to and learn something. Or uh, he goes solo the third time after all, and then he either gets a big win going solo, and so the moral of the story is learn to trust yourself, or he gets fucked hard going solo, and the moral of the story is don't abandon your support team. Friendship is magic. <laughs> and uh, and I don't know, I'm just, I thought that was both insightful of Amaryllis and interesting that we will now have this thing to look out for. When is June's next solo opportunity? The thing is, her her prediction here encompasses all possible outcomes yeah right yes it does <laughs> and so you know what would count as evidence against this pattern literally nothing because either the third time deviates or you know um it, it goes with the theme but it's like okay so that covers everything right it, maybe there just isn't a third time that would uh that would falsify it but like you said if 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 he passes up on the third time then like that's kind of the three beat right right so so if he never even gets the opportunity to go solo again yeah he never gets an opportunity to go to the bathroom alone ever again which since he lives in bethel is kind of the case right Um, yeah so 
did did he say or did you say that the that uh going solo once was a big win and going solo a second time was a big loss um uh well she said that sometimes the pattern is the first one's a win the second time's a loss and the third time's the tiebreaker but it looks like both of these have been wins you know first uh, time at speculation he successfully saved val and no one got hurt and this right. time there was some collateral damage but he got <laughs> he got spirit magic and uh all the books from the future right like so it, okay so it, i don't do wrong collateral damage is underselling it but yes, it's, yes, it's it not is. it's not a big loss on the scale of like we lost a companion or i lost a limb right i the protagonist who matters more than these npcs sure but like he so first of all he literally lost the game and the only reason he's still alive and playing is because the dm uh intervened on his behalf and dialed down the 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 mimetic hazard thing so it couldn't couldn't just you know have him locked up until the end of resources but also you know he went nuts he was replaced by evil june and killed a bunch of innocent people and now the the infinite library i don't know if it can recover from that june certainly can never use it again like yeah i i I felt that it was stupid that not stupid i felt that it was telling that he got a boon out of doing all this but i still would consider that like just a major loss yeah that's that's a good point a lot of bad things happened but things things seem to work out they did Uh, seem to work out (laughs) but yeah that's what heroes do yeah it's you just you just barrel forward things things will shake out um but yeah no i think you make a good point uh like on net for june it it kind of came up positive but yeah there were tons of drawbacks including all the people that he killed and how he was briefly voldemort um yeah anyway i guess we'll we'll keep an eye out for the the third beat on that yeah uh, he has decided that he wants to put his next, his n- new two points that he got from level up into social. And, uh, he explains to Amaryllis that, uh, this is pretty important because n- narrative aside, like Fen was about to walk away. Solus and Grack have both, uh, expressed the, you know, reservations about staying and, uh, social leads to loyalty, which is, uh, which is power in, in this game. And I am totally on side here because like a lot of the things that have been fucking him hard have been due to these personal social relationship kind of issues biting him in the ass. And, you know, I don't know, maybe like having world shaking, amazing magic is going to do great stuff, but like his most powerful tools right now are his companions. And so the most powerful tool he has to shape the world is their loyalty and friendship. So what you're saying is that the real world-shaking magic is the friends who made along the way? That is literally what I'm trying to say. Yes, I'm glad you picked up on that. <laughs> you know, I think you're I think you're probably right. And I don't know how up to date my little version of his character sheet is, but uh his social skills are severely underneath everything else. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's being demonstrated that being able to communicate better might be a good benefit for him and so mm-hmm. this won't be a pure you know just dump stat um you know at the very least he's he's also just doing the nice awesome responsible thing of like he's going to listen to amaryllis he's he's like no nah, i won't do it now i just want to you know you, you you and i will think about this before i invest the points yeah. um, he's going to take her advice right yeah he might do he what he wants anyway but he's but he's waiting for it yeah he does talk about it with her first which is awesome yeah. And again, he might just do it, which is fine. Even if she says, no, I really, really think you should do, you know, more physical because you need to be able to swing a sword faster or something. Mm-hmm. He might just do what he wants anyway, but, you know, he at least did seek her advice. So there's something for that. Yeah. He does, in the end, like give Amaryllis a hug. And that was just very sweet. And I liked it. 
I wanted to give you a hug. That was all, really, all I wanted to say. Just that I value you and I want you to be happy. Aww. I know. Best friend. Super heartwarming. Mm-hmm. Fucking love it. Yes. And then uh, as the hug goes on, he finds himself wanting to cry because he misses Fen. Because it was obvious that Amaryllis had wanted someone to hold her. And because some other Amaryllis that was never, that never was, had waited until the end of the world. Uh without anyone to hold her and that was just wow way to fuck me up just a few paragraphs later the dm giveth and the dm taketh away <laughs> yeah yeah uh it's a alexander knows how to to write an emotional roller coaster and you know it's not like this isn't like a curveball or some surprising terrible thing it's just like this is the next this is this is the next thought that we would have and that he has right mm-hmm. and it's like oh that was super sweet and it's like oh yeah bummer like yeah, yeah i and kick in the feels for sure yeah i don't know what he knows about spirit but he says that with what he knows about spirit he's more convinced than ever that uh he won't be able to get fen back mm-hmm. um we we still don't have a great grasp on spirit unless i somehow read past it too fast um it's another interface to view what's going on with him but he's like no soul's missing stuff apparently i don't think that that's enough and spirit seems to be its own thing and um he says that you know might not be possible even in principle Besides maybe letting her show up in the hells. And Amarillo says, I'd never thought we'd be able to get her back. He says, no, me either. Not really. Mm. And that's another kick to the gut. Um, like I said, I don't know about spirit magic, but I'll take his word for it. And June admitting that it was just basically wishful thinking earlier is kind of a bummer. Um, yeah. It's a kick to the gut. Like Harry, I, I, is it annoying that I keep referencing methods of rationality? It's the only other no, like, long form so. rat fic that I've read. But yeah, um, when Harry, you know, when things work out with Hermione, he says he realized how shaky his hope was, even though his conviction that he told us as, as the the narrator was rock solid. Right. Mm-hmm. But he's like, Oh, now that it worked out, I can admit to myself that I really didn't think this was going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But June's doing that prematurely or not, not prematurely. He's doing that before things don't work out. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, to move things on to a lighter note, uh, Amaryllis asks him uh, how he would feel about her and Palida doing this sort of huggy-huggy kind of thing. And then a few lines later, she says, well, I'm glad that you wouldn't be too upset because we did exactly this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, setting us up for a hot three-way already. Way to go, Alexander Wales. I mean, you dropped the word harem in the like prequel episode to this and or the prequel preamble whatever um mm-hmm. you know so i'm still waiting for his orgy scene you know um, <laughs> can't have a harem without an orgy yeah what's what's even the point yeah you're just you're just a philanderer if you're just you know have multiple partners that aren't hanging out at the same time but i know not, not, not necessarily but you know there's something where she's like i think he asks like you know what did you guys do even though he doesn't really want to know or something mm-hmm. i think that I'm not sure, I guess, why he's asking, but I'm like, oh, we want to know Amarillo. Let's go ahead. Describe everything in, in long form detail. I'm yeah. listening. Yeah. She's like, um, oh, we, we just hugged. It was just hugging. Well, she says that she tried to kiss my neck and I pushed her away. Um, yeah. But the the weird thing, too, and I, this isn't like a win for calling this because I think it was set up, but like Palado was into Dahlia. We had had like three references to how Amarillo is the spitting image of uther's daughter for some reason and uh then of course paletta sees oh it's that chick i was super into uh mm-hmm. 500 years ago um and she's super into her again right right but I it's mean, not as it's your not type as, doesn't change right 
And especially because the way that we understand how Palada's brain and memories work, right? She's the same yeah. age that she was when she was with uh, Dahlia. It's true. Probably yeah. people's types can't change, but I don't know. I never really thought about that very much or looked into it. Hmm. But the but the thing is with her is that she explicitly, like when she's the same age as she was during previous carnations. Um, yes, yes. is like she was then. So yeah. yeah, she'd be the same. So if she liked whatever bosomy redheads when she was 17, then she will forever when she's 17. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, All right. The... Uh, <laughs> And this is the so this is the part where I got the feeling that there is going to be a June Amaryllis romance after all, because uh, uh, Amaryllis says, I don't want to lead you on. You're not the person who should be giving me physical affection and says she was staring at me with her pale blue eyes. I was like, oh, okay." with her pale blue eyes is absolutely romance writing. And it feels like we're moving in that direction with Amaryllis now. And I don't know, maybe it'll like come out to be like, oh, this is why we can't have a relationship or it all ends in tears or whatever. But uh, that's definitely hinting in that direction with, with those words specifically. You know, I'm, I'm going to just do a control F across the text after we record to see how many times they, that he mentioned somebody's eye color. Mm-hmm. And I bet at some point it mentioned, you know, Falter's gray eyes or something. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think you're just you're you're. Granted, the context, everything about this scene screams uh, romance, but... Yes. Well, and also, like, describing someone's eye color is one thing, but, like, you're having a conversation with someone, and you look into their eyes, and it notes, like, her pale blue eyes. Like, if he was ever having a conversation with Falter, and Falter, like, said something to him, and he says, you know, he was staring at me with his pale gray eyes, I would be like, oh, June's totally gay for Falter. I think that's you're jumping the gun on that a little bit, um, but the uh, he has he has mentioned Amaryllis's eyes before in previous conversations because I think yep. he had something where it's like with most people he'll like look at an imperfection on their face or something which doesn't have any so he just has to look at her face um, uh, and he is also feeling sexual things for her when he says those is he not oh yeah no he, no he totally is like okay. I said, the context around this screams romance to me but. I think it's possible to stare into somebody's eyes and notice what color they are without necessarily wanting to bone them, especially if they're a, you know, sharp toothed, several century old uh, soul raping elf. But I mean, uh, in real life, it is. Yes. But in literature, if you see those words, I think there's a romantic subtext. Oh, fair point. Yeah, we we get to play this at both levels, which is just the delight of the story. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, of course. Uh, Now that we think of it that way, I mean... The fact we can do this, we could do this all day, right? Um, like, which... I think one of the things that most uh, sticks out to me from um, various scenes where just Quirrell and Harry are speaking is that uh, Quirrell's eyes are often specifically mentioned, and they're often mentioned as kind of like inhuman or cold, or there's like light glinting off them. There's always like when when you make note of someone's eyes specifically in in a text format, there's there's always meant to be something behind it. There's like, they're the window to the soul, you know? And the fact that he was always like bemused or cold or something like it gives you, gives you some insight into him. Yeah. I'm glad that in that context, it didn't read romance, but I think it was kind of fun because it kind of read contrast. Harry has explicitly, although less obvious or less often repeated in methods of rationality, the emerald green eyes mm-hmm. and Quirrell has the icy blue. Mm-hmm. Um, I picture like an evil version of Daniel Craig's eyes. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. That guy's got some perfect blue eyes, but um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll swoon over those another time. Hmm. Um, 
I just like how Amaryllis is kind of a ball of emotion right now for somebody or in a context where she's being hugged by somebody that she apparently doesn't feel romantic towards. Right. Um, you know, I think I, I made a joke later um, that, well, first I'd said, even with, without the ambrosia of love muddling your thinking, coping with the fact that your future self loved somebody must be weird. Um, yeah. She's like, I don't love you, but a smarter, wiser version of me did. And mm. she's coming to terms with that. Um, and of course, making a pro con list in her head because that's how she does. Darn and, and, at some point, I had said, look, even soul magic can't get in the way. It's true love for sure. <laughs> uh, we, Well, we do find out just after this conversation is over that um, Bethel is listening in on everything, of course, as always. More than and listening. We learn more than listening. Sure, sure, yeah. But we also learned that June had quite the erection for someone who was hugging a platonic friend. Uh, and I just, I mean, I'm glad that we that our attention was was brought to this eventually that the truth was revealed to the audience as opposed to being forever hidden from us but like <laughs> i think that that would have been good to know during the scene because it it makes the scene like slightly different and not bad like he's still trying to give a hug to a platonic friend but okay so it would change the nature of that thing where we probably wouldn't quite feel we wouldn't have felt the same awe of warm feelings but like we would have had a more accurate feeling of what june's going through at the time and like you know, I really care for her. I want her to be happy. And damn it, my penis is still being a fucking penis, stupid piece of shit. Oh, I'm just going to lean back a little and make sure nothing gets touched. So there's no no record of this. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I think that I was misled by that having not been told me told to me in the actual hugging scene. So when you when I first saw your note, I thought you were just talking about how we had like at the scene at the public bath where we talked about this as like the biggest plot hole ever in the story right it should have been told to us in the bath too <laughs> how did he not be like oh my god i got a huge boner i have to hide this i think people made a compelling case for how awkward it is in a public bath but that said you're right it, you know we 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 went on at length about uh the lack of discussion about his erections but luckily somebody's keeping count <laughs> and um so that plot hole has been retroactively resolved, but Thank I think God. as far as the, the interaction with Amaryllis and like the, the scene there, remember like this is June's autobiography, right? Yeah. He wanted that scene to land a certain way when he was telling it to us, but mm -hmm. he also wanted to go on and say what happened next, which is Bethel apparently isn't just like the opposite of invade. She's more. So the opposite of privacy isn't just invasive. She's like more than that. Right. Yeah. Uh, she rubs people's faces in it. Well, she rubs June's face in it anyway. Yeah, she at least rubs June's face in it. Um, she offers to show uh, the, you know, non-consensual sex tape that she made of uh, um, Amaryllis and Pallida uh, or makeout tape or whatever it was, right? It it sounded like it was a, a full-out sex. And yeah, Amaryllis was not being forthright with June when she said she kissed her neck and I pushed her away. And then she left out... But then afterwards, I pulled her closer again, and we got it on. I mean, the thing is, Bethel could just make up whatever she wants for these little animations. It's so I don't That's know. That's true. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's just remember when I talked about how much it would suck to have a sentient house that was aware of everything. You like, did this say is that. Why. Yes. Yeah. I bet, but if the house was nicer, it wouldn't be an issue. He says all. I'm just talking about what I want. And really, I'm pretty simple. The thing I want most in the world is for my house to not keep track of the time, location, and presumed cause of all of my erections. <laughs> <laughs> but then how will we be able to recreate his erection timeline in the future? 
<laughs> Doesn't Bethel uh, like say something about how she could make a chart? Uh, she did, yes. Right, I could construct a chart for you. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, she's also keeping him hostage until she gets done ask, you know, asking all these questions because the hallway is incepting on itself. Um, I thought that was like kind of good natured, though. Yeah. But like if he asked, she would have been like, all right, here, here's Greg's room. It's, it's not entirely dissimilar to when they were walking back to the main part of the library and then not going the right way. But mm-hmm. because we know Bethel has a loyalty of actually goes up to 12. So um, anyway, uh, sounds she's, like they had she's some funny. Pretty- this is this is where she mentioned that she's like. Oh, he says, that's the perversion. You know, next thing you'll be telling me something like, I don't know. And she's like, the taste of Raven's cervix. And he's just like, come on. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. oh, oh, was that a step too far? And yeah, a little bit. And apparently she also read the notes that were inside Sable. Because now that she can, she did. Because she's Snoopy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's, I don't know. Snooping isn't nice. I think that when he um, asks her, it's like, don't, you know, don't you think like some part of a house is like some people can have privacy? And she's just like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> and I'm like, I think that's part of a <laughs> yeah, house. She, again, she's playing around there. She's but making a she joke. Want, she actually does want to be a good house, right? Yeah. So she and probably I get that, take like, this under consideration. She might take it under consideration. Um, but it's tough because it, everything else about her, she knows, every, you know, everything that's going on in her all the time. It's not like she, I don't think she can turn it off. Right, right. I mean, it's when when she says the thing about the cervix, she knows what the inside of everyone tastes like all the time, and she can't help it. Like this is one of the reasons she wanted the entad that lets her control her sensorium more. But yeah, she, so it's not her fault. But on the other hand, it is her fault that she like brought it up and put it in such a crude way. Right. She really should have just had a chart that she just like hologrammed in front of June of all of his erections. That would have been really funny. I mean, it also would make a maybe. This is like her trying to make her case for like. You really should give me that sensorium controlling entad because, man, this tasting everyone's cervix all the time really sucks. She currently has it. That's right. It is inside her. Yeah, she's got yeah, full okay. house. Yeah. Well, yeah, so she's, she's tasting out, all the cervixes in the house just because she wants to now. <laughs> <laughs> Dope. Anyway, I, I wanted to mention that the the Sable thing because they're eventually going to go out on some adventuring party, right? Yeah. And they're going to want to bring Sable, which means she'll have to be content with being just house-shaped again for a while. Unless, like, she has the bottle within her. Does the bottle count as an Entad that she can borrow its oh, powers? Oh, yes, you're right. I forgot. The bottle is actually how she's doing this, not Sable. Okay. Yeah, because Sable's yeah. space is just letting her uh, access some other dimensional space. Yeah. I When it first showed how like big the library got or something a couple of readings ago. Yeah, I was that's like, right. oh, because of Sable. And she says it was the jar. But in my head, I still had it as Sable. Okay, yeah, never mind. She can stay as ridiculously <laughs> oversized as she wants forever, which honestly, I'm on board with. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Um, yep. Yeah, uh, it sounds like that their sex was awkward and bad, which kind of sucks. But uh, that happens sometimes. <laughs> really, I, really sucks when both people aren't into sex, but whatever. I wonder if try I, it, I guess. I, I think that. I'm taking Amarillo's word over it over uh, Bethel's. Um, I don't know. I don't think, I don't know. I don't know why I just trust Bethel more on this. I think it, like to me, it feels the kind of thing that Amarillo's would try to do. And, and I'm not sure why Bethel would lie about this in particular, but maybe, maybe Bethel's just full of shit. Well, I mean, you know, it could be the embarrassing kiss and rejection thing. And she's going to be like, look at how awkward Amarillo's was here. 
Um, which oh. if, if anyone were to have sex with Amaryllis and it was, and it went, you know, better than terribly, it would be a better interaction than what happened with Palada, apparently. Right. Uh, oh, so maybe she was just going to show him how badly and awkwardly the kiss attempt went is what you're saying. Could be. Yeah. Okay, see, her words were, if someone is going to fuck her, better you than Palada, would you like to see how that interaction went? And I thought she meant interaction of fuck her, as opposed to just, you know, the interaction that did happen. I may have been reading too much into that. Well, the the only level I really care about reading it at is that she's this just grotesque peeping Tom who won't be content with recording everything that everyone's doing in the house all the time from all angles, but also wants to show people. Things that yeah. they know that, they, that <laughs> these people wouldn't want shared, you know? Um, rude. Yeah. Do you think she would have actually gone through with it if June said yes? Absolutely. Hmm. Okay. I think, uh, may- yeah, she probably would have, but only to, like, continue pushing his buttons. Like, I don't think, I think all this is just trying to get a rise out of him. No, yeah. Most of the time, I think it is. Um, but I think that if he had said yes, she wouldn't, like, have backed down, right? Right, right. She would have been like, oh, well, okay, then I have to. I can't be back and down now. Yeah, you're right. She'd she probably was counting be zooming on him in. saying no. Yeah, she'd be zooming in and showing, you know, like, look, and here's uh, uh, Palada's um, pupils dilating, showing her arousal and stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, just making it as, as clinical and uncomfortable as possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, all this is going on while they're taking a very, very, very long walk to Grack's room. Uh, and she said, and he says, I really did want to see Grack, though. So if this hallway could be a little less endless, that'd be cool. Hmm. Um. She says, you didn't answer my question about the dwarf. You're going to see him. Why? She's always suspicious. Mm-hmm. And he says, I wanted to give him a hug. And I'm like, that's the best thing ever. Yeah. I also liked in my note here, I forgot. I pulled out that uh, she's holding him hostage until he answers all her questions. But she's, quote, never ask anything of him, unquote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing is she's she's interrogating him on why he wants to go see Grack. But she's about to see what he's going to do there anyway like it's not a mystery to her the the point of this interaction is to interrogate june rather than to know what's going to happen because she's going to see it anyway she wants to know if his reason for leaving this conversation early is sufficient to allow it hmm maybe that's what it is could be eh. but you know what is she gonna do like keep him hostage like for real like if he had said yeah, hey look yeah. i'm done being in this endless hallway if she actually did just leave him in a forever hallway i think that he would be pretty understandably pissed. Yeah. And no, I'm just, I'm finding, I'm finding it more interesting trying to suss out her, her motivations. Yeah. But cause it's not still, like, it's not like she's not gonna be able to see what they talk about. Right. She's going to be yeah. in there tasting everything that they're saying. So hmm. she just wants to know now rather than later. I don't or think she's just it. acting she's, human. Maybe that's it. Maybe she's acting human. Maybe she's like trying to get June to consider what he's doing instead of rushing in. I don't know. I at this level, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to... Maybe she's trying to exert power by saying, you know, I won't let you go in there until you've told me why, even though I'm going to see it anyway. That I think that's part of it. I think I'm not so much on the... I'm not going to give her enough credit yet to where I'm thinking that she's looking out for June. But the pretending thing, I think I like a lot. I, what, I think one of the most interesting things that she's done is mingle when they took a lunch break. Yeah. You know, she, she made a fake plate of food and pretended to eat it. Mm-hmm. And she she's just um just just one of the one of the folks walking around look at me sit and eat all this human food mm. um the fact that she has any want to do that that makes that's really interesting yeah that she she is more than just wants to be good house yeah she also wants to be accepted yeah well that's fun 
Speaking yeah. of acceptance, that's I don't I don't know why we always transition with speaking of, but it does mostly work some of the time. So um It's the easiest way to start a transition. Yeah. Anyway, chapter one thirty six, Crinrael. I'm gonna yes. just assume that's how it's pronounced. Sounds right to me. And uh yeah, June shows up and um walks into Grack's room and says, Hey, I'm giving out hugs. And Crack, why? <laughs> Come on, man. I thought you'd like one. And he switches to Groglier. So he says, when I left, you're upset that Magwar wasn't coming. I can be your Crinreal instead. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, free hugs. But also, doesn't Crinreal essentially mean spouse? I don't remember, but I thought so. Like, I didn't go back and look it up, but I, yeah, it was like some kind of like life partner thing, right? At the very least, I think we did talk about it last week briefly. It was like not the um, the booty call, right? Let's see. Oh, I just found it. I, the chapter was uh, the one-hand warder. Crin is somebody you're physically intimate with. Crinrail was that, but much more temporary, not an ongoing arrangement. Oh, wait. So maybe it is uh, It's the exact, it, it is the booty call, yeah. And Crinrail was that, but much more temporary, not an ongoing arrangement. Oh, so he was <laughs> just coming in saying, are you DTF? <laughs> or DT share a bed? Or DT TB? Touch butts. Oh, oh, I thought you meant to be determined. Oh, because that would be TBD. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. And that does help set up some of the context for this. So that was worth going back to figure out. I thought that it was the not quite spouse, but, you know, significant other, whatever. Right. Um, I did, too. But no, it turns out it's the he's like, hey, you want you want to be down for hugging, possibly butt touching or something? I don't know. And uh, that's a level of intimacy that he has never expressed with Grack before. No, no, he has not. Maybe now that he has a much better grasp of Groglier, like he understands that might just be literally just sharing a bed as opposed to full on intercourse. I don't know. He says Crinral does denote physical affection. That is his understanding. You know, I, when, when it was just like, hey, do you want to be, you know, boyfriend and boyfriend slash friend with each other? I was like, oh, you know, okay, he's going to level up his kind of like intimacy with Grack, but this is like more or less just like physical stuff well you know how how amaryllis had said like she was willing to uh lie down think of england in order to uh <laughs> to, to to be able to get with june and and have her hand on that lever lever of the world like maybe june's like you know i could take a page from her book if if it's uh if it'll make Grack happy I, i'm willing to do this thing it's just one night of butt touching yeah i guess if they didn't call it cloacal winking i wouldn't find it so bad <laughs> Um, that phrase will be with me for the rest of my life. I'm so sorry to hear that. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I, Amaryllis was willing to do that, you know, for the good of, you know, king and country, right? He's willing to do it because his buddy's a little down. I mean, he's a really, really good friend then. Yeah, you know, extremely good friend. You look like you could use a bro job, you know? (laughs) Well, he's first of all, he's kind of worried that he's going to commit suicide. Bro jobs might help with that. And also, like, Grack is one-sixth of the party that's going to save the world. That's, that's, that's something that might be worth a bro job now and then. Yeah. It all feels so genuine, though. I don't think that he's doing the, the calculated thing. Um, it's interesting, like, because uh, Grack uh, objects on grounds of... June isn't actually attracted to him at all. He's like, you don't, you know, uh, you don't look at me like you look at Amaryllis or Fan or Valencia. And June says, on Earth, I wouldn't look at a man like I look at Amaryllis, even if he were beautiful. And I pulled this out because I think that Grack is right and June is full of shit. Because if he was into men, he totally would look at them the same way he looks at Amaryllis if they were beautiful. 
unless i don't know he's just like a sexist asshole who's like oh i'm i'm allowed to leer at women but not at men even though i like them both equally it's it's which i don't think is the case with june so yeah that's a pretty like deeply uncharitable take on that i yeah. i think i see what you're saying maybe he's just like you know as long as it's on the subject his sexual horizons are expanded on arab right hmm. so he's like well back on earth i was more of a midwestern prude you know now i'm been through some shit you know, I'm way more dude about, you know, uh, whatever intimacy and stuff. Right. Oh, so uh, he may just be like letting go of his, uh, his hangups and reservations and, and internalized homophobias. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, it could be. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, that that's probably the best I could do with that. Um, okay. I, to me, it was just kind of a surprise. Cause I, I know that Fenn had said that June said that he wouldn't mind touching butts with crack, but <laughs> I, you know, up until this point, he's only shown a thing for, you know, bosomy pale, pale ladies. Right. So. Right. Um, or I, at the very least ladies. Yeah. I, I like to just imagine being as, you know, childish as possible about it, but. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, I don't know. Good for him. But when apparently his offer for a one night stand, uh, falls through, he's like, all right, forget all that. Do you want to just a hug? And Greg says, Yes. And he puts as much love as, and warmth as he could into the hug because he did care about him and he and he did want him around. And like, that's the best kind of hug and good on Greg mm-hmm. for letting him in. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's time in the library and not just ha- not just imagining, but also reading secondhand accounts of his friends living out their lives without him forever made him realize how much he cared for him. Yeah. And hey, you know, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. So it is. He's he's. He feels like a different person. And I mean, it's probably the whole, also the whole uh, emotional blowback and, and dealing with things of, of losing Fen as well. Like he's just much more, much more aware of how much these people all mean to him and how much losing them could be awful. So it's important to, to check in with them more often now, you know, how sometimes you get those things when, when you lose a loved one that like, you suddenly realize how important everyone is to you. Yeah, that's, you know. That's a, uh, what do you call it? Um, not a trope. What do you call a real life version of that? A cliche, right? Uh, um, yeah, yeah. That's a cliche for a reason because it's true. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting because I'm, as I'm skimming back through looking at some of these chapter names, because I went back to go find the one hand warder, um, you know, he hasn't been like focused on his friends for a long time. And even like the therapy one was like the first time he sat down and like actually focused on him. Not the first time, but one of the few times where he sat down and focused on like his relationship. Um, yeah. But he's putting his friends center stage. It's fucking awesome. It is. Yep. So uh, high five. High five. Indeed there. I pulled this out because I thought it was really interesting. Uh, Grax says, I think I'm done at one point. And in parentheses, we are told this was a mildly unusual construction in Grog Lear because all statements were inherently considered to be subjective expressions. And I thought that was a fucking cool language because this language intrinsically recognizes the distinction between map and territory where all statements are just inherently like, yeah, this is, this is my, my map uh, is, is implicit in it, in their language. I thought that was badass. That's really, that's an amazing catch. I didn't like, I didn't like properly grok that statement. I just kind of was like, okay, yeah, dwarvish, whatever. Uh, But no, it's so if I asked in, in Groglier, you know, what, what time is it? Your answer would be three o'clock, but implicit in the language structure how he delivered that would be, I believe it's three o'clock. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, that is really cool. It it strikes me as like eminently sensible and perfectly uh, what I would expect like that language structure to look like for somebody like like Grax people, mm-hmm. um, which just makes it tremendously good writing. It does. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and as as you oh yeah so uh, like you said Bethel didn't need to ask him because she was watching the whole time. Yeah, he leaves the room after they decide, you know, yeah, we're going to go dump that gold in your uh, in your place uh, at some point in the near future here. Uh, when he leaves the room, Bethel is waiting for him outside and saying, ah, an interesting day for Juniper Smith, it seems. And, like, I just got very strong, like, the, the sort of all-powerful trickster character uh, archetype. Like, it felt to me that she's like Q in this from Star Trek or... Uh, or like Ryuk from Death Note, just like always hanging around and watching and commenting on stuff, uh, but never, never really intervening, even though she could. <laughs> She's a total stalker. <laughs> yes, all just those characters were running around, tasting everyone's cervixes and counting their erections. I mean, <laughs> I trust Ryuk like ten times more than I trust Bethel, even though I know her loyalty level. And even though Ryuk, really? ex- if I was light, explicitly told me he was going to kill me, yeah. um, I. I can model Ryuk. He, we, we can have a working relationship. Um, I get the impression that he, that he would leave the room if I wanted to masturbate. He wouldn't like sit there and videotape it. Um, <laughs> if nothing so, else, I guess he never lied, right? Uh, yeah, as far as I can tell in my rough recollection of that show. Yeah. Man, that was uh, some peak awesome. It sounds even nerdier than it was. Maybe, maybe it was as nerdy as it was and I just didn't have good context for it. I was watching that show in high school as it was coming out. And so I would find the like the quick fan subs that would come out because it would air in Japan first. Oh, nice. And so you'd get like people who spoke shitty Japanese translating it and then shoving like not perfectly timed subtitles onto the show and then putting it online like a couple days later. Mm-hmm. So I'd find those. And then like a week later, I'd watch the properly subbed release. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember doing all that from way back in the day. And uh it was a good series. There was some talk about it. I can't remember how it came up on the Discord, but there was a thread about Death Note. And how did you, what did you think about the uh, the fan subs versus the official subs? Because I've there have been some official subs that I have taken umbrage with uh, because they I felt were not were not true to the the original uh, the original text as as much as some of the fan subs were. Um, in general, they were poorer quality. Okay. Like they were done by non-professionals and they were hacked on like to the, to the video file in a less than perfect way. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also read some really bad fan subs of, uh, um, I guess fan translations of uh, berserk. Okay. And it's, it's kind of funny how bad it can be. You know, it's like, if you're curious, just like Google some random passage from the King James Bible and then find the same passage in like a kid's version of the Bible. Hmm. And sometimes you'd find things like that. And it's like, that's not even what they were saying here. And it's just remarkable that that's the takeaway that you'll come with that translation. And then you'll see the official one. And it's like, okay, yeah, that makes more sense. Um, okay. But I can see what you're saying where, uh, I remember this was a thing with a uh, squid game or squid games. I forget if it was plural. Um, you know, Korean is not closely related to English. And so translations right. are going to be approximate. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I watched something about, how they would convey something in the translations that was like, well, yeah, I guess if you really, really simplified it and focus on one part of what they said, then that works. Um, but it's kind of the best you can do. Okay. Um, 
if at least I think when you're dealing with languages as as distantly related as English and well, I guess most Asian languages, um, you know, there what are you going to put in the subtitles? Like there isn't a word for this in English, but it means something kind of like this. Like you can't put parentheticals on live subtitles, right? Yeah. Although I have seen parenthetical translations on manga scans before. That's cool. Where it's like they'll put it in there, and then somewhere they'll put like an like an like an ampersand, and they'll be like or a asterisk, and then down there it'll be like this isn't quite exactly it. That's more what it means, but this fits in the box. That that would be really cool. I would prefer things like that. I would like things like that, you know, because then you also well, learn more about the culture and also what the person was trying to convey. Hundred percent. You should read. You should read Berserk, and anyone who enjoyed Death Note the anime should definitely check out the manga. It was really really good. Things in the in a anime weren't as gripping in the second half. The manga stayed gripping. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. I I thought the second half was poorly not poorly done, but not as well done. Yeah, exactly. They they yeah. a lot of like the jumps and leaps that they make to make that ha- like to make it feel that way in the uh, anime aren't done that way in the manga. Okay. Yeah, but uh, that was all just our fun digression on other nerdy shit. You know, you're, you're listening to a podcast about a, you know, web serial about a D and D character. Like you guys, I'm sure that was not the most unwelcome digression, right? <laughs> We're all nerds here. We can, we can own it. And maybe some people who have not seen death note will now go out and see it. And then they Do will it. be happier in their lives. Yay. All right. So, uh, Oh yeah. Here's the thing. Um, June, of happy. Yeah, the opposite of happy. Uh, June talks about uh, losing someone close to him, and he uses Fen in the example. And Amaryllis comments on comments on the fact that you used Fen in that example, not Arthur. And I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to say about that. It's just, yeah, that's that's true, and that feels kind of melancholy and sad. But also, I don't help me out here, Stephen. I'm having emotions, and I don't understand them. You're better at emotions, right? I wouldn't. Be, I don't know about that, but I can read what his reply is when he's kind of backpedaling. Yeah. He's He says, well, it was more immediate, more visceral to me. I felt my stomach churn. I'd been spending a fair amount of time in my soul. I knew where my values stood. And he mm. just says, sorry. Um, you know, it's this was something that he realized the first time we saw his soul. You know, that mm-hmm. Ven and Tiff were tied for like second and third or something. And Arthur was down at like sixth or ninth or whatever. And... It's just, yeah, you know, there's a salience to things being closer in time. And the more that you're thinking about it, the more it's it's looped in your head. You know, that fractal that blew his brain to smithereens is a good example of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it takes up more space the more that you're, you're thinking about it. And you probably think about more recent things more recently and more often. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, but it is a, it is a bummer. Um on a happy note, and we actually didn't put this in the notes, but it's worth pulling out. He does get his spirit level 10 virtue. And I'm going to just read it and then ask if it makes any sense to you. Because I feel like we still haven't had a good explanation of what soul spirit is. Okay. Um, all right. Virtue. Threadbear. When analyzing a thread, you gain information on which threads it has historically had some connection with, which aspects of the soul is connected with, and a sense of historical thread size. Okay. Uh, I... I mean, sure. Yeah, I think it sort of makes sense. Kind of. That there's a lot of threads in the spirit which affect things in the soul and which affect other threads in the spirit. And so that gives you a history of what they were and how they are connected and how they influence each other. So you get to go through your soul in debug mode and do a stack trace on wherever you pause and look at stuff. 
Uh, I'm going to say that I know what those words mean, and you are very <laughs> correct. I mean, I guess so. That that all sounds well and good, but the thing is, we still don't. Ha- I don't have a good grasp of what spirit is yet. Um, like, what what does it do? So when it talked about threads, we saw the interface that he looked at was literal threads. I pictured it. It was, I think he said it was green, but I pictured it like the um, circulatory system that Mm -hmm. shows up when Dr. Manhattan is uh, reconstructing, reconstituting himself. Yeah. Um, So I picture like it's that representation of his body, but it's it's not, is it? I don't think it maps to his body. I think I started to think of the soul as like the, um, the text files or just the database files that that uh the program draws from and uh, and the spirit is the program itself while it's running okay yeah i can dig that um if i used jargon when i was describing threads uh i mean like, i have no idea what effect traces uh it's it's the historical record of where this has like what led to this point um oh so okay well that it, sounds yeah yeah, super translatable, and I think it makes sense to what what he's describing here in the threadbare virtue. Um, yeah, it's just I I want to see him do some spirit. You know, we saw mm-hmm. him squeeze something to make it stop being big once, but like I don't know what what that was. Um, that wasn't him. You know, writing a function to work on his uh, um, level up or something, right? His level up va- uh, value level. Um, I want to well, see him was, interact was- more with with it. Yeah, it, it felt like he was strangling a a aspect of the program that was working super fast and taking up all the system resources and like crushing it down into something that is barely running, gets to do one system call every, I don't even know how long kind of thing, right? Yeah, but it was modeled in a way that like he talked about like literally squeezing it. Um, yeah, well, I mean, maybe which, which that's, that, that's not how you work on computers. Like. Well, no, but it's how you work on your spirit. Yeah, I want to, I guess I... I have no trouble imagining how his soul works and what he does with it. I want to get a better idea of spirit. Um, okay. Like I see, I can kind of get what it's doing, but I want to, I want him to hang out in his spirit and do stuff at it for more than a paragraph. Um, gotcha. Yeah. So anyway, the, um, I, yeah, I think I talked about that long enough. I just wanted to mention he got a perk. Yay. Huzzah. And uh, if I do oh, understand hey. it correctly, I'm glad I pulled it up because that does sound kind of super beneficial. Like, hey, yeah. now you know what the fuck you're looking at is essentially the short version. Yes. Yeah. And how it, yeah, how it's historically acted. Uh, we do at this point uh, come to that part that I was talking about earlier where uh, somebody else tells June about um, about what evil June did. So I guess it was Amaryllis after all. Uh, he... Uh, the the quote is uh, talking about evil June in the face of such overwhelming desire, especially short term, things like personal identity and cont- continuity of consciousness go out the window. Talking about how evil June was just like, well, yep, I'm going to erase myself because leveling up is more important than I am. Um, that was this is, I think, the other way of thinking about it, like where I was thinking of it as the ultimate sacrifice that you're giving up your own life to to preserve the the what you value. Like this is the exact opposite where it's the ultimate debasement where you're not just killing yourself. You are taking yourself and turning yourself into a monster because things that we think we should care about, like personal identity or our loved ones or uh, continuity of our own goddamn consciousness, they just they don't matter. They're so overwhelmed by this addiction that has turned us into something 
something perverse that like you're like yeah no i'm I'm willing to turn myself into a monster into someone who cares about other humans and will go give them hugs instead of chasing a level as long as it'll get me a level in the end and uh and i guess that that is part that that kind of thinking is part of the reason why um doomed amy didn't go like full voldemort because she didn't want to to turn herself into that sort of a thing pursuing just one goal monomaniacally that's a good point you know and to she could have also i mean if she had some trepidations about her moral hangups, she could have tweaked with her soul to get rid of those, right? Mm-hmm. But she opted not to. And yeah, I think that what you elaborated on what she said is is the accurate version of what happened with Evil June. It wasn't that like he sacrificed himself so that some version could go on to have a level up. It's that like desire to live was one one millionth to as important to him as level up. Yeah. So I think that she's I, right. Like continuity of consciousness isn't a thing that matters anymore. He cared about the level up. So as long as that happened, it's like nothing, you know, if you got a quest, you, you use the phrase ultimate debasement. I mean, if you got a quest to eat 10 pounds of shit, he'd start licking it off of people's shoes, you know? Yeah. Like, so he, there was, there was nothing he wouldn't do, including just immediately throw himself under a bus. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think it's really interesting that, that it's basically the same action and it's the outside perspective that is whether it's, you know, a sacrifice or a debasement to do this thing. And, and it's like, it's the greater judgment of the rest of society that decides like if someone does something like that for, for their children or for something that we consider a great good, then it's awesome. And it's a sacrifice. But if it's just like to get more smack so that you can get high tomorrow, then we're like, Oh, that's, no, that's gross. That's debasement. It's there was it's a movie a thing from, I had not contemplated before. Yeah, no, that's awesome. There was some movie some fifteen years ago or something. Uh, I think it was Denzel Washington. I can't remember, and I can't remember the name of the movie. But like, I think the kid, like his kid, needs heart surgery or something, mm, and he yeah. can't afford it, so he takes a gun to the hospital and says, "Give my kid surgery." Um, yeah, and because that's a good reason to to hold a hospital hostage, it makes for a compelling story. And he's, I don't, I don't think I saw it, so I don't know if he went to jail or not. I just remember the trailer, but um, I'm sure he probably goes to jail. But he's like a kind of hero because he's doing something heroic. But if he went there to like take a heart that was going to be used for organ donation so he could sell it for drug money, then right. yes, uh, that would not have been the story of a hero. That would have been the story of some asshole. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I, I can dig it. I feel like Amaryllis, like I said, I think that she hit it on the head. Um, she had a lot of time to think about what it was like when her values were flipped, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and she has probably a better better idea of it. She she has all sorts of <laughs> good ideas. She like tells June, dude, Raven should have tied you to a chair while you learned spirit. And which I mean, in retrospect, I should have thought of that and it's such a simple countermeasure. Like she continues to be the most valuable person in this party, even more so than June. And whenever she's not around, things go bad. It's a it's a lesson in the value of not splitting the party for sure. Um, I mean, my comment when I saw that in the notes was like, I, I, I was like, yeah, bro, I saw this coming and I'm an idiot. Um, mm. I think Emerilla should have su- suggested the restraints before, uh, like to Raven before they left the library. Yeah. So she only gets a quarter point for being a genius on this particular occasion. Mm. Um, Cause yeah, like I said, in hindsight, it's super obvious, but if she had said, Hey, look, don't let him just go read the spirit books by himself. You got you do it together, tie him up, do something safe, then that would have at least been on their minds. Um, yeah, yeah. It's really easy to point that out to the fact that that would have been smart. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I, uh, I like it. And, uh, yeah, she's right. I don't know where else to go with that. Um, I I was trying to, I was belaboring there for a second because I can't remember how this transitioned, but, um, I'll just jump to my next quote here, which was, it was June thinking I fell in love with the doom timeline. I have to admit, Oh, it's cause he's like reading through all the rest of the books. He didn't get to read yet. Yeah. So he says, I wanted to live there in the same way that I had wanted to live in Hogwarts when I was a little boy or really the way I wanted to live anywhere that wasn't home. Um, and I said, Oh man, is this meta? Am I falling in love with a world that doesn't exist right now? No, Ooh. no, not really. Actually. Arab is a hellhole, oh. uh, but I do love some of the people that live there. Interesting. I, huh. For the average I, person I, on Arab, life sucks. No, no, it does. But like <laughs> thinking of it that way, I think that people have fallen in love with fictional worlds before. And I think it's like even happened to me in a certain way. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's I wanted to go to Hogwarts. Be, yeah. There yeah. might be some people for for whom this is a meta thing because they do want to be in Arab or, you know, in June's shoes. I want to know his friends. I mean, if I got to be June, that'd be one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I, if I went to Hogwarts, I wouldn't necessarily want to be Harry. I would just want to go to Hogwarts, you know, and, and do magic stuff, right? Yeah. Um, as a kid, that's all I cared about. Like, yeah. I, I think being Harry would have been a perk, but I would have taken being, you know, random kid number three. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was going to Arab, I would, I would want, I, w- I wouldn't accept a veil of ignorance about who I got to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, no, that's I not do- part of the deal. I get to be a badass. Like, mm-hmm. I want to be a gold mage. Fuck you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I do think the the um the doom timeline is very easy to fall in love with though. It's just it's so romantic. It is tragic and you know from the start that it's doomed to die, but it's going to do the best it can anyway and we see it through Amaryllis's eyes and she was alone and struggling. Like it's just it's built to to have people with a certain sensibility fall in love with it, you know? Absolutely. All right, yeah. so, but we did find out, as he's reading through all this stuff, that Amaryllis kicked, like, ten different types of ass in the other timeline and just became queen of everything and invented plastic magic and plastics and saved the world multiple times. It's just, it's even more badass than we had heard about before, just the awesome things she go, goes through and does. I think Raven mentioned that plastic magic was, like, a thing that would happen if we made plastic, right? Mm-hmm. And... She, apparently Alton and Amaryllis is like, yeah, that's fine. We'll do it anyway. And they get crazy superpowers, plasticity of the mind, Reed Richards style flexibility. Um, I don't know what else it comes up with, but apparently some of them were almost exclusion worthy. So mm-hmm. I think they go, oh yeah, they did. They were stopped through use of void weapons. And I was like, yay, the, the solution to every problem. <laughs> yes. They can combine into like becoming meta beings, which is, freaking badass but almost destroys the world so yeah that's that's the void weapons i wonder at what level like you get the perk that you get to make like a really realistic sex doll how what no you could you plasticize yourself yeah but you could probably get a perk to plasticize other things hmm i guess maybe if you were june you could i don't think a regular person get gets perks no no no. yeah it's a perk thing not not like a, oh, okay okay yeah, yeah. Right. everyone else gets better at stuff the way that you and i get better at stuff you know slowly with practice well, he has soul magic, so he already has the perk to make a really realistic sex doll. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> That's so much I went worse. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So is was this why people like fascists? Um, yes. That is, in fact, exactly why people like fascists, June. So what, what was it that they liked? Uh, he said that there were elements of uh, fantasy punk dystopia, but he still marveled at it. 
Um, so when he says that, it's the fact that Amaryllis has like this panopticon controls complete uh, power over the internet or what, what is Arab's version of the internet, like can see everything, can do whatever needs to be done. Uh, that So, you know, that that's kind of a fantasy punk dystopia because she is the unstoppable ultimate power dictator. And normally the plucky group of uh, rebels would be fighting against this all seeing, all knowing dictator person. But um, she gets shit done. She, when the world is threatened, she fixes things. When the world needs plastics, she creates them. Uh, the She does things like our government does not do things anymore. And that is exactly why people have always liked dictators, because dictators can get shit done. And then, you know, the bad part about dictators is that they can get shit done that's not good, <laughs> if they aren't good. And many times they are not good. Like, honestly, the people... Like, we think Amaryllis is great because we like her and we like the things she does, but anyone who's, like, in the opposite political party from her or has a slightly different view of the world or ideology, she would be a very evil dictator from from their point of view. That's a good point. I appreciate you elaborating on that. Um, so he he's having this realization, is like, is this why people like fascists? Because he finally found, like, a dictator that he's like, oh, I could get behind this. Yeah. Okay, strength, that makes sense. Strength and ability to do things is awesome. Yeah. Well, well, especially when they're doing things you like. Right. Um, so <laughs> there was one random thing that she did. She opened a portal at great expense to the elemental plane of wood. Yeah. And that's how she got some of the stuff for plastic. And I'm like, this is just a thing money can buy. Uh, you, can, you can maybe expense doesn't mean money. Maybe it means you had to sacrifice X number of warders or something. But it seems like I mean, maybe if by, you give them a lot of money, they're willing to sacrifice themselves, especially yeah. if they're like kind of getting old and janky. By dictator edict, you can just be like, I want a portal to the land of wood. And like, <laughs> it just happens. You know, I mean, pe- people, people do stuff to make it happen. But like, okay, that's, I didn't know that was a thing money could buy. That's pretty fucking cool. That is tight. Um, you know, they talked about the planes before, but I always assumed they were like as inaccessible as whatever heaven would be to us here on earth. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, apparently you just, it takes some money and someone who can get shit done to get there. I mean, it sounds like any magic that uh, is somehow tied into the plane. So maybe a mage, a wood mage or a collection of very powerful wood mages could pool their powers or something. Yeah. I wonder because well, there's already also wood on Arab. I wonder if there's a plane of bone. I remember there was that list of planes. Bone might've been on it. Um, yeah blood it's just like it's just a whole universe that's just top to bottom blood yes Um, (laughs) there's slightly different warmths of blood and different colors of blood but it's all blood it's just blood all the way trees in the blood air yeah yeah um apparently in the future things aren't looking so hot for the locusts um there's nothing useful to be gained in the books the second i'm that the second empire wrote because and this is obvious like look i if you try to do science on them doesn't work right Mm-hmm. so th- they did get some like numbers but i'm pretty sure those numbers are meaningless um, okay. and amaryllis says i don't suppose there's any hint any sort of hint from the future that never was and he just says you outlived a locust mm-hmm. fuck yeah yeah that sucks and you know he's he's not trying to like spoil anything that could be uh whatever history ruining or future history ruining yeah so he's not saying yeah we've got two months left um right. but he's just saying you outlived it that's all I can tell you. Um, anyway, it's heavy shit. It is beyond the abilities of mere mortal magic to fix, but they have June now and they didn't in the doom timeline. So maybe with a June, you can do it. That's true. 
Well, and, you know, after a while too, probably Amarillo's had other priorities, you know, yeah. like it sucks, but like the locust is, she's not going to be able to bring druid magic back to the world on her own. Like that is going to require some Uther level fuck, you know, messing around. So yeah. I don't know. Speaking of Uther level, June wants to get more experience in a perfectly sane and not that he has a problem kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, I, I think we should spend a few weeks like cleaning up some old quests, you know, especially some of the ones that seem easy. Um, and Amaryllis says, or says that Amaryllis felt the opposite, that older quests were the ones that made her the most leery, largely because their trip to speculation and scrutiny had turned into such a clusterfuck. Mm-hmm. And I was curious about your position on this. I'm on June's side. I mean, so I am too in any normal game. I would be like, yeah, knock out the... Uh, the old early quests pick up you know what little xp and magic items you still can from those because they could be useful but but that would be in a video game and whereas like in a tabletop game especially one with this specific dm who seems (laughs) to like fucking with june like maybe an earlier quest is just a way to be like aha now i can you know really mess with you with this thing and my my quests are always level appropriate and something like that yeah that's a good point even in some video games they scale the enemies to match you but you don't tend to get like overly punished but you're right this is a dm that likes punishing him so yeah yeah i it's tough because you can't just not do them some of these i want to get around to you know yeah yeah i don't know maybe i i I would maybe like do science on it go go try doing another early quest and see if it blows up on you like speculation scrutiny did and if it doesn't then be like okay cool we can knock out some of these I mean, he got uh, the Lost King found really early on. I hope he finishes that quest. <laughs> <laughs> right. But that's like the, you know, beat the game quest. So Yeah. I mean, straddling worlds. Oh, that was the one. Um, yeah, they say you can't go home again. Some of these some of these seem super doable. Yeah. Oh, the Diral, uh, Dirali Idrid is actually a quest. It's a companion quest. I yeah. forgot about that. Yep. All that glitters. Oh, that's the name okay. of the quest? Yeah, I was just skimming through the quest list here. Then we've got his uh, um, list of slaying the horrors. Oh, I well, forgot that like one he's of gonna them. Do. The Z word. Captain Blue in the Bottle is the reason that no one says it. That's his word. What mm. What ominous, awesome bullshit. I'm so curious. <laughs> like, it's only bullshit in the fact that if I was June, I'd be like, come on, you're, you're just blue balling me here. I'm really excited. Yeah. I, I am... And what kind of name is Captain Blue in the Bottle, right? He's Captain Blue in the Ballsing him. Oh, first of all, that was hilarious. Second of all, you know who else is Blue in a Bottle? Who? Uh, The genie from Aladdin. It's true. It's a lamp, but, you know, I I don't think this is a genie, but, and it's not clear to me why genie would be, why he would get to own the word zombie. I don't either. I really want to find out. Let's, let's keep reading. All right. Okay. <laughs> uh, suddenly I'm like really, really curious about that more than like anything else right now. Um, I just have to hold on. Uh, um, yeah. All right. They all will right, figure uh, out what they're going to do with quests, but first they're going to do Grack stuff. Yes. And the important thing, well, it is an early quest, so that's cool. We'll maybe get to find out if it's going to blow up on them or not for being an early one. Uh, but June has states, states in no uncertain terms to Palada that uh, they are, in fact, going to sacrifice a thousand pounds of gold. They are not going to, like, take lead and wrap it in gold or do some other bullshit. It's going to be actual gold that they're actually just leaving behind. And I fully agree with this i think it's a 
good idea that you don't try to cheat the symbolism because first of all, they're running on narrative. Don't fuck with symbolism when you're literally running on narrative, but also just in general, like it, it has to matter. And the only way for it to matter is for them to actually sacrifice the gold, you know? Yeah. This is his self-imposed penance. If you were to pretend to pay it, it, you know, it's one of those things that even if he never found out and he felt like he got the closure he needed or something, it's just, this is where like, you know, some fuzzy virtue ethics answer comes in, but it's not wrong. You know? Yeah. I wouldn't want to be the guy that, yep, I tricked my friend into thinking that, that he did the right thing that he wanted to do. And by doing, by, by tricking him, I managed to save a bunch of money. Mm. You know? Um, I, I agree, you know, don't, don't fake it. Don't put it, don't put the, I think they joked about, or they, she threw out the idea of lead, you know, don't go in and get it 10 minutes after crack leaves. Um, yeah. You know, it's like, no, this, this goes there. It's gold. It's fine. We're, we're protagonists in a game. We're going to have plenty of money. Cool. I am we're glad at, we're, we are on we're the at, same side. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're, we're at the level in this game where money doesn't matter anymore. So, yep. you know, if we have to spend a thousand pounds doing this, like whatever. I it think, shall be done. I think Bethel can probably make gold. Oh no. They tried that with the backpack. Yes, that's right. It will give him. It'll give him money. It give him earth money. Yeah, <laughs> give him really uncomfortable toilet paper. But mm-hmm. yeah, it won't give him gold, even though gold is a thing that exists on Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's about it. Uh, yeah, we have Paladis reached the says, end. Okay, yeah, you got. I think she says, "Aye, aye, Captain," with a lazy salute, which is a nice sign off. I like her personality; she's fun. Uh, yeah. So I'm guessing they're going there soon, and. Because like when they talk about the library, I was like, oh, they're going to do that eventually. And it's like, all right, let's go. And they were like there, right? Mm-hmm. I think gone are the days where they talk about doing things for a while and then do them. Yeah. I think now we're at the time where it's like, yep, we're, we decided we're going to do things. And that's all, then, that's all the preamble we need. Now we're going to do them. Hell yeah. So I'm just hoping that either Val comes with or he gets to talk with Val before they go. Because mm, he hasn't talked to her yet. Yeah. No hug for Val. And, you know, I don't know if he's that hugged hug comfort level yet but he should be at the level where he you know can reaffirm to her like i don't blame you yeah at least have like a a short civil conversation yeah i think that he's definitely i think he seems like he's there he was there before he was there at the funeral right Mm, no at the funeral he was fucking pissed he was he was pissed but he managed to summon the words and i think mean them that he said i forgive you right like that's huge. I mean, he's he said the words. Yes, I don't think he meant them. Like he said, "Don't ever look at me with a devil," uh, as well, which it's just unreasonable as a request for Valencia, and you know, speaks to a lot of rage in you that uh that 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 that's not a very forgiving sort of emotion. I think it's totally reasonable. You know, in a combat situation where she's, you know, if she, if they're at like another table with a group of potential hostile jerks, like called um then yes, if you have to glance my way while wearing a devil, fine. But like not here in the house when we're talking to each other. That sounds totally reasonable. Yes, but he didn't say like, first of all, he didn't say that. And second of all, he didn't say it in a nice, reasonable tone of voice like that. He said it as a order with threats behind it or implied threat. Yeah, Valid. I mean, he did say that, you know, they were just burying the body of the girl that you know, Val's fucking around with helped kill, but, um, uh, so I get why he was a little emotional at the time, but, Oh yeah. Totally. Uh, you know, the dirt wasn't even settled yet, but, yeah. uh, yeah, anyway, they need to hug it out or at least talk it out. Um, yes. I had one more thought before, uh, it's gone. That's all right. Oh, yeah. I, I had a lot of thoughts already tonight. And so 
if I'm out, then that's fine by me. So that's right. You have fulfilled your your thought quota for today. <laughs> yes. All right. So uh, for next time, then we will be reading chapters one thirty seven through one thirty nine, which is only three chapters this time. Oh. Uh, I mean, in part because they're slightly longer than average, and also in part because uh, next week is Thanksgiving, and this way we don't have to, you know, do serious amounts of reading and work for on Thanksgiving week. That works but for me. I, yeah, I don't think people will be too disappointed. There is a fair bunch of stuff in these uh, chapters. At the end of the day, we can never make everyone all, you know, perfectly happy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is, this is, we're, we're, we're putting in the most work on this, right? So if we're setting the pace that works best, I'm kind of just like uh, getting ahead of anyone saying, look, you guys, you know, do more stuff. And it's like, this is a lot. Yeah. And, you know, it's a holiday weekend. We'll probably do the same thing in December. So definitely. Yeah. All right. So those chapters are 137, Darili Arid. I think your prediction is going to be coming true. 138, Stats for Nerds 2. And 139, Peace of Mind. Stats for Nerds. I'm stoked. Um, mm. Coming right after the whatever, Darili Idrid chapter. I don't know. Maybe it'll just be a break chapter for, you know, they've had a couple of those um, stats for nerds where it was kind of just like non-diegetic. And then the one after that was, what'd you say? It was a peace of mind, but it's not spelled like peace as in relaxation. Right. It's spelled peace like a small chunk of. Ooh, that's fun. Okay. Hmm. Who's, who's mind? Which piece? Only one way to find out. That's right. Come back to uh, this same place that you found this next week for uh, more <laughs> to find out whose mind is going to be in pieces. Yay. You can also come to back to the same place where you found us next week in order to rate and review us, which is a thing that we appreciate. And if the place that you found us is hpmorpodcast.com, you can even click through to our Patreon and help support us or uh, click through to Alexander Wales's and do the same for him because uh, he made this whole thing. I think if your podcatcher has like the ability to click stuff in it, mine does. So you, you don't even have to go, like, go to the website. You can just look to the right on the description and or whatever direction it is on yours. And there's links in there too. Mm-hmm. I just mentioned because you always talk like people have to go to a website like this is like 2015 and they don't. Yeah. I, well, yeah. You, you don't have to leave the app, man. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes, this that's all much appreciated. And I hope everyone's enjoying listening and having fun. I'm having fun. I think we're almost halfway through this book, which is wild. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, find smooth segue here to give Alexander Wales a big shout out. This is his game. We're just playing it. Heck yeah. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. See you next week. The ta-ta.